flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot on a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holla ass and travel with portable speakers playing Baja's scats. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million hours. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey. We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild and our circumference make assumptions. It ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers. Flavors last and love a loop. Young boy, student of a better Carolina rice. Two J's and I'm down no mighty good time. Singing in a child line. Waiting for a hot meal. Lighting up the combine. Looking for a hot meal. About to start a dot com. I like y'all silicon. We look like a top time. Kicks like 808. Kicks like 808. I ain't trying to say it again. I try to tell them that I made it out the garbage with a dollar and a promise. And I turn both of my pockets, standing Miller knockers, help me stop it. You ain't never doing what you say you're doing. Yeah, you drop that Russian on ride like we was making rubies. Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 75 of The Deep Brief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and we are coming together today after an episode with someone that you guys have been requesting for quite some time, time uh, George Monbiot, uh, and we talked about the environment. You know, like I said, I always have a bit of a tough time doing environmental episodes, but you guys really wanted this one, and I really enjoyed the interview. It was a, more of a focus on um the contribution of uh the you know animal meat industry to climate change was something we haven't talked about on the podcast you know and this question of whether or not we should be doing more individually to eat less meat you know um to the extent that our uh, government doesn't seem to be doing that much about it in the first instance. Uh, I was really intrigued by some of the thought he's given to the cultural practices around both farming and meat consumption. 
as obviously an American, I think of how even the suggestion of, you know, having a White House garden led to people thinking Michelle Obama was some kind of fascist. Uh, because people see uh, hamburgers or something with a sort of moral identity here. Um, but I'm also a person who, you know, does eat meat. And I've had conversations on other podcasts about my own, you know, ambivalence about that fact and moments I've had where I've been pescatarian for pe- periods of time and the conflicts between my own kind of um, food sensitivity things and, you know, the difficulty to and finding things to eat when you don't eat gluten and soy and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's, you know, it's difficult. And it's something that is a, often ends up in a little bit of a charged situation because it really does matter. Um, and it's something I'm challenging myself to do better about, but I'd love to hear from you guys. So let's just get to it. Jam, what's on your mind? What's going on? Can you hear me? Jam? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, sorry, my bad, my bad. I have you turned down. Ah, right, there's no problem. First off, like it's always, uh, you know, love, love the show, and this one is like by far like one of my favorite episodes. Like as a one of the most city country dudes you're gonna find, like I love this episode really going into agriculture. But, I'm so glad. Oh yeah, like because you guys touched on, you touched on a lot of the issues that I have with like environmentalists you know, how and how, like, they talk about, um, how they talk about, like, climate change and, like, Mm -hmm. and everything, especially the, like, the, them not really trying to reach out to, like, people on the right wing to get into, um, like, climate activism. Mm -hmm. It's when those should be, like, some of the most, like, the easier, the easier, which I found to be, like, some of the easier people that on board, especially when I'm talking, like, to hunters, like, Mm -hmm. because they they know and see it. And especially when you're talking, like, to farmers and everything, like, they, like they know and see it. Like I'm here in Kentucky. Like we we just had all these big floods mm-hmm. not so long ago. Had those drastic um, tornadoes and everything. We just went through a drought, which was extremely like scary. Like if you haven't been in Kentucky, like it, it rains. It rains almost consistently. Like it stays green down here. Like even in the winter, it doesn't really get. You know, the winter doesn't really last so long. There, no plants normally like die out because the rain so much. So, but we went for a long time without rain, and then we, you know we got all of it at once and everything. So, yeah, as a country dude, I loved, like, loved this episode. Can you tell me a little bit more about what your conversations are like with folks um, who are politically conservative about climate change? Because I've heard, you know, like I said in the episode, I've heard people say, you know, when I go to coastal areas and I talk about how people who sustain themselves by farming, you know, fish or other things from the sea, you know, if you you talk about it in terms of the economic hit they're taking, it's a, it's really easy. Or people who are losing land to, um, um, sea sea level rise and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious what your personal experience has been like. And when you talk about it, when, when they're on board, are you saying things like climate change and green new deal, or is it more of an abstract conversation that's about climate change without, but without using that sort of rhetoric? Oh yeah. I don't really use like bring up like green new deal. It's kind of like, um, how, um, this is like a good like example, like how Andrew Yang would talk about, um, the fear of like automation, you know, uh, taking over things and he, he'll bring, you do a good job, but you bring up the example of seeing how you go to like any like, um, major like brick and mortar store and it's the automated like touch pads instead of a cashier. Like how those things are mm-hmm. like, once mm-hmm. it's brought up, once it's brought up, 
into like your con like right in full view people get it like especially hunters has been because they out they out in the, the wild and they see it they because they see when i bring up um if i go to them and i bring up like you know like common change is a big issue you no know, need to uh, talk about how see how we're going to figure it out one of the bigger things like you know they always they first off start talking down about like the green new deal so then have to go into it like all right look like, i got a hunter's license so, like i'll go out and hunt too Mm. And saying like, look, we see like a lot of we see a bunch of um because like uh the heat waves and everything, a lot of our a lot of the um food like like the deers eat and everything like is dying, and we're starting to see a lot of like deers get more sick. Like it was a big wave, um like a like a big deer sickness wave that took out like a little chunk of the population. Mm. Like once I bring that up to them, like they start they start to get it, and well, because normally those don't get linked to climate change, or they don't mm. see it getting linked to climate change. Just like how we had, um, like, like the big, one of the big reasons why chicken costs a lot, uh, right now is because we had like this big bird flu, which is crazy to me. It hasn't been spoken on the news enough that mm-hmm. wiped out, like, we had to cull a lot. We, we killed around like 10%, like, of our, you know, like, chicken, like, populate chicken and, and turkey, you know, like, uh, population mm-hmm. because of this new, like, avian flu. Like, it's, it's been, like, it's been, like, pretty bad. Like, some places down here, you know, like, been like some sandwich shops, like Jimmy John's, a bunch of places have been like running out like a chicken and turkey because of, you know, like because of that big deal. So and I talked to like some of the farmers that like I uh, work with, people that farm and people that grew up on farms that also like work with me in a plant. And I bring that up talking to them. Oh, like it's right. And they, you know, they, they see it, they understand where when they talk about crop failures, like wheat dying because it's too hot, you know, like they, they understand that, you know, but I'm just, I just avoid saying like Green New Deal and just talk about, you know, just how we, just how it's easier to explain defund the police and just saying what, what it actually means instead of saying the word, mm-hmm. you know, like then, then they usually get it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm just trying to think about lessons people who are having these conversations on the national level should take from that. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like, oh, I'm I'm just, I've been so, like, just done with the most, like, our main, like, federal, like, um, politics. I really think most, well, like, done, done in the sense I'm not really expecting too much of it until we grow more of, like, the local level. Like, mm-hmm. I was thinking before, because most of our, most of our like um successes uh like uh, of like let more so left leaning people has been like on a local level like during this episode you guys were like talking about was something I was so happy about when the, the guy brought up um reforestation basically mm-hmm. like how that's like the best the best um carbon capture system like we have like planting trees federally we not we're not really gonna see too much you know too much movement on that but state by state wide you know you can get that done relatively fast you know. How do you mean? Like, I mean, more so, more so, people pushing, you no know, pushing. Like, it's gonna be a whole, it's a whole lot easier pushing uh, local officials and, and everything to um to get certain things done than than massive um massive massive federal things because the politics are a lot different. One of the main reasons that like you know they live with us like down here in uh, Louisville, like uh, Biden, you know Biden still hasn't done like the George the George Floyd act right, mm-hmm. but down here after um. Breonna Taylor's uh, like death. It was protests going on every day for around over like over, over, over hundred days, and mm-hmm. we end up like I took part like writing a bill and like in a petition and everything. Mm-hmm. The Black Lives Matter people um, down our chapter down here is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, we were pushing uh, Mayor Fisher at the time, and we end up getting no knock raids banned. Mm-hmm. You know, like down like down here. Mm-hmm. This was more so you can easy it's a lot easier like flipping school boards really easy you know just bring it in you don't you only need a couple like a couple thousand people you can flip a school board you know mm. like you know, it's a lot easier 
to push things, you know, um, on the local level, which would then later on, that's going to end up affecting, you know, the federal level. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you on that. That's interesting. I'd, I'd love to talk to someone from your Black Lives Matter chapter. Um, most of, I can try to, um, I can try to get somebody, um, try to get some of the uh, people, um, you know, like linked up, like the Black Lives Matter activists down here have been doing real good. The, uh, uh, it just might be like triggering to some people, but the satanic uh, temple like down mm-hmm. here has been doing really great for like uh, reproductive rights and mm-hmm. like for like the homeless. They, they, the satanic temple has been like, one of the biggest like um country like in the organization in the country pushing for a lot of, like um, reproductive rights. Like they was one of the only ones like like suing like they sued Oklahoma not that long ago, sued Kansas, you know, like over they over their laws. It's been a consistent thing. They do a big thing down here where they'll go to um like homeless shelters and give uh give out pads. Mm-hmm. Because, because that's a big thing that's not really, you know, mm-hmm. like talked about because, you know, related <laughs> you know, related like to and everything so like they, they they've been a, a really big like organization i'm really cool you know looked up with them too uh i would love to talk to someone from the satanic temple oh <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I'm um me and um me and the the local chapter well it's like they're associated with the local chapter here um like the, the, the guy that runs it you know like me and him's real uh real cool and everything i can link i definitely can like, give you his email like y'all can link up he was in a movie he was in a movie too hell satan what it was talking about um, Satanism and everything. His, his name, uh, Dietrich Von Doom. You can look him up. He went viral not so long ago, too. Talking about, Von you know, work, working class, uh, issues. Okay, cool. Beans. One other thing, um, it, it came up in the episode and I didn't, uh, interrupt George to talk about it, but I don't know if you remember, we did an episode last summer about carbon capture. Maybe it was last mm-hmm. fall. I don't remember. And it, I think I had, um, Olufemi Taiwo. And uh, the climate journalist from Huffington Post, Andrew, whose last name I'm blanking on. And they were talking about some of these carbon capture technologies, which, you know, yeah. are somewhat con- controversial. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, personally, I ain't too big on them. Like, it's, it's super expensive. It's, it's hard to do at scale, too, you know, where it's like the much easier and it's the much easier thing that can be done especially more like more quick even though it takes trees a long time like to grow and shit but yeah. the most quick thing to do is you no know, reforestation well the the you know the critique is the technology isn't there yet and all of these polluters mm. want to grandfather these technologies into their carbon reduction plans because it's better it's easier for them to, than to actually stop making carbon but mm. one of the arguments that Olufemi Taiwo I believe made was that a lot of the kind of reforestation plans are contingent on, or, you know, the, the carbon extraction plans that rely on reforestation are contingent largely on the global South using land for this non-economic purpose, you know, for, you know, Mm -hmm. for, for the greater good, you know, they have to give up their fields of grain or they have to give up their agriculture. They have to give up their animal husbandry for, for these to, to plant trees or whatever, and that the cost is largely absorbed by countries that didn't get the full benefit of all of the industrialization, blah, 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 blah. And I thought yeah. that was, I thought that was interesting. I think that's an interesting take, but I, the reason I didn't bring it up in the episode was that George was stressing these alternative protein sources, which mm-hmm. arguably would counterbalance some of the hit that the global South would have to take in terms of not, being able to use that land for food production, and I, mm. I'm I'm just flagging that because I'm I 
I would I would just be interested to know how that plays out if we do end up getting this, you know, microbial food technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if those I'm same kind of concerns would emerge. Too. You're skeptical yeah, of the, the microbes? Yeah, more more so skeptical, like at it being done, like it being done at scale is more so is more so the thing and like, because normally, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a full, like, wholesale poo-pooing, like, the idea of it. Mm-hmm. But, like, most of the time when people bring up, like, these, like, these new technologies and everything, they, they, they don't talk about what to do in the interim, you know? Like, they just go, like, oh, yeah, these new, these new, uh, you know, things are, like, popping up. Like, we, we're having, like, these new technologies, even though they're nowhere near, you know, like, at scale, or even in, like, the, um, like, the uh, common Americans, you know, like, thought process or anything. You know, like so, what, what, like, what do and it's going? They'll really acknowledge like how much time it is going to take to get there, and what can be some like the positive things to do, you know, to get to it. Like, I'm a big, like, I'm a big advocate on um, urban farming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I'm real, I'm real big in like to the permaculture uh, movement and everything. And like, mm-hmm. urban farming ha- isn't hasn't really been, you know, hasn't really been um, explored here. Like, a good a good example is to look at the Havana model, like in Cuba. Where most of like most of the food that that city consumes is grown within that city or very close proximity, you know, around the city, mm. and uh, and that's and this hasn't been one of the main reasons I, uh, with back Bernie in 2016 was because he was talking he was talking about breaking up like uh, Monsanto, even though they got like bought out now, mm. but breaking up like because it's not really talked about breaking up these big. Uh, the factory farming like industry to and so we can so we can have better food access have a very have a smaller like carbon footprint and everything and have a better a, a better chance of eliminating food deserts you know like last time yeah. i went up home to detroit i was in the food desert like and it fucked me up when i realized i was in one you know i was baking the cake and had to go buy some sugar and i was driving for like 15 20 minutes to like yeah. to see any grocery store you know yeah, I mean, I just, you know, spoiler alert, I just spoke to India Walton for an upcoming episode, and, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about the top shooting, and that is, I think, still just such an unnerving aspect of it all, that you would target a place that is the only, you know, oasis in the middle of a desert that people are compelled to flock to because there's no options. Black people in particular are compelled to flock to. And using that to target people in that way, it makes it even like another level of insidious. But yeah, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. I'm very intrigued by the idea of people increasingly or even being either incentivized or coerced. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I prefer a carrot than a stick, but to you know turn their lawns into gardens. And, you know, everybody who has a garden. If you if you oh, work yeah. with someone with a garden, they're constantly showing yeah. up to work with like bushels of cu- cucumbers <laughs> and tomatoes because it's it's an enormous amount of food that can be produced and nobody oh, can handle gosh. it. Yeah, like all the men <laughs> in my all the older men in my family um like had their own gardens and that's how I got got into it and that was my intro into into gardening. But like, but they got into it. But a lot of them got into it through actual government policy. You know, like our first, the first people to really do it in our family started like during World War II when we had the victory farms. Mm-hmm. You, you know, but like but that's, but we don't really, you know, we don't really push that type of. And well, our food system was a lot better then too, though. But as as leftists, we don't really talk about like the food system, you know, like writ, writ large and everything. And how yeah, yeah, like you should you should do a garden, even if you do like just a small like vegetable garden. You ain't gotta go, you know, like all oh, lot and shit. Yeah, well, it'll have to wait for me and my uh, apartment 
living days, but uh, oh, you want tomato in a windowsill? Windowsill? I don't have that kind of a window. I like it in a straight up and down. There's no like Juliet balcony. There's no, <laughs> I don't have like a push up window. It's like a new build. I don't know. We don't have to get into it before I dox myself. Um, but thank you for calling in, Jam. You've been a, a great first caller. Oh, can I ask you one question before yeah, of I go? Course. I asked this to Leslie and like Katie, uh, mm-hmm. Katie Helper, and I wanted to ask, ask to get your perspective. Like, it seemed like it's a real. It seemed like it's very like likely that Trump gonna run like for another for another run. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to know what you think. How do you think he will have his? How, what do you think a second a second term Trump presidency will be after everything that's happened? Do you think he will govern the same like the same way as like really not caring about like policy and like just deferring it to um to pretty much to the establishment or because of everything that happened? And, and like his more, his even more so like adversarial relationship with the establishment that he might buck them and start doing more stuff up like uh, unilaterally or trying to push more stuff unilaterally, especially him getting more people, you know, within government that's just pro Trump. Like, what do you think his second term um, would look like? Yeah, that's if you get it. That's really hard to say. I mean, it is possible that because of the the legal train wreck that is first term was that he has even fewer kind of legitimate people who want to work with him which leads to even more chaos but also less ability to really mess things up in a substantive way do you know what i mean okay this is complete conjecture i have no idea (laughs) but you know it does take a certain amount of discipline to really mess things up i mean the republicans we're not acting like Trump when they've been implementing this 40-year plan to take over the federal mm-hmm. courts and all of that. That wasn't Trumpian. That was a different kind of a energy. Trump, you know, all the stuff that we used to talk about as end of world with Trump, whatever he was doing at the border and cages yeah. and Muslim bans and all of that, I don't mean to downplay any of it, but either it was very short, lot, a lot of it was very short-lived or yeah. Biden was doing it too. And can, has continued exactly. it because it wasn't exactly. about Trump. It was about the status quo. So, you know, there's a part of me that isn't as fearful about that as I am about Ron DeSantis because really? he's so, he, he, uh, he um, outsources his crazy. Robbie talks about this on the show. He has a, um, like a, she's not his press secretary, but has some kind of press woman who does all of the crazy tweeting so he doesn't have to. So you'll yeah. never get Ron DeSantis doing like these wild Trumpian tweets, but the tweets are still there articulating his point of view from this third party account. And that's just like a smarter way to handle it. And mm. everyone follows her and retweets her and the messaging is still out there, but he has this plausible deniability, which is the same kind of plausible deniability Republicans have always historically had, but Trump kind of collapsed that. Mm. So I don't know. I think it might be a little bit more of a wild, you know, it was a pretty wild ride, but it might be an even mm-hmm. wilder ride because his keepers might not be there in line. And I'm mm-hmm. also curious about whether or not any of his antics will cause some of the media figures who defended him to distance themselves. So uh, yeah. what's her name? The blonde one from from uh, Fox. Was it Greta Van Sustren? No, it's one of those. Wh- whoever it was that was texting him that we found out through 1-6 was texting him like, like oh, don't yeah, do yeah, this. 
please don't write up on the Capitol. This doesn't, it's not a good look, dude. <laughs> like, you know, people who are in that kind of proximity to him might not feel like they necessarily want to throw their lot in with him so intimately that they might get caught up in some charges. But I don't know. Like, the, the Tucker, the big Tucker expose in New York Times made a point of saying that he's good at advancing Trumpism without tying himself too closely to Trump. And I think more people might follow that model, which doesn't mean, again, throwing Trump under the bus, but it does mean, you know, just creating a little bit of space there. Whether that'll make a, like a meaningful difference into how yeah. the administration feels, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Cause I think, though, like, because Trump was, I feel like he was, since he was so culturally, um, on a policy level, like, on the, on the cultural policy side, he was, like, extremely, like, successful, like, getting, like, the Muslim ban in and everything, mm-hmm. trying to, like, to redirect funds. So he got so much, he got so much, like, trust and everything from his, like, from his base on having those immediate, you know, within, like, his first year, for most of them, though, having his immediate, you know, like, cultural wins. But I am, I'm going to stop taking up, you know, like, so much time. Appreciate you. No, thank you. And it was Laura Ingram, not Greta Van Sush. Oh, I got Sorry, bad. All right. Keep the faith. Thanks for calling in. Uh, David, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree, can you hear me? I can. What's up? Hey, I was actually curious, uh, not that all the stuff that we were just talking about <laughs> isn't interesting, but I was, I was just curious uh, if you've uh, followed any of uh, Alex Jones's trial uh, lately. Not closely. I saw, you know, he lost. Um, and I saw that, I you know, viral clip ago. of him. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean the, what, he was a fine with $4 million or whatever it was today. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like he's he's been facing the default judgment for a while, so he's he lost a long time ago because uh, he didn't comply with any of the the court. He didn't, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. Uh, oh, it's 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 fun. Uh, you should see like the corporate representatives they sent in that didn't know anything about the company, and they submitted child pornography during discovery to. The what do you mean they submitted child meeting. pornography? It was in the stuff they submitted in discovery to the plaintiff's lawyers. Jeez. They also submitted like a hundred page background check on one of the plaintiffs that no one at InfoWars can explain why they have it or who generated it. Or How have you been following it? Where have you been following it? Uh, so I've been following it just through uh, the news and the public depositions and also through uh, Knowledge Fight, if you've ever listened to that. Um, podcast? They, yeah, they're a podcast. They 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 do Alex Jones stuff. They have a lot of, you know, they they're they're critical of Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they follow his his you know crap basically. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so and so they've been very involved with the with the lawsuits. Because um, I know there was a great uh, YouTuber who people uh, recommended to catch up on the. Uh, Johnny Depp stuff and she was she was great it was lovely to listen to like an hour of her and feel like I got the deets so I would love someone like that to give a catch-up yeah we we covered it very briefly on the hill but I haven't been I I don't I didn't have the bandwidth to follow an entire trial I don't yeah it's been nuts on just like a process level um to what do you attribute his his uh ill-preparedness why, you know, why didn't he hire real lawyers? Oh, that's, um, I, I think a lot of it just has to do with Alex Jones being Alex Jones. I mean, the entire time he's wanted to 
sort of vindicate himself by doing the same kind of stuff that he does on his show of blustering and diverting and you know that just kind of seems to be what he was going for other than that like i can't really say because the the decisions they've made have been just bad strategy mm. i mean like like i said he he took the stand at the end of the trial the defense called him as a witness <laughs> which was a a bad idea for all the reasons that you can guess mm-hmm. yeah i mean but and and the whole trial was like that i mean you probably heard that the defense uh accidentally submitted like his entire a copy of his entire phone yeah i saw that the past two years mm-hmm. yeah and then didn't do anything when the plaintiffs notified them so just like the whole case yeah. is full of stuff like that it's, it's just weird and yeah yeah i mean i yeah go ahead I was going to say Knowledge Fight had like a series uh, that they were running. I think it was Formulaic Objections. Yeah. If you go, if you go to Knowledge Fight and you look up Formulaic Objections, that's the, the stuff they covered about the depositions. And there's a lot of it. So <laughs> I don't know that I would listen to all of it. It's pretty fun. But, yeah, that's probably the the easiest way I know of to catch up on any of this, if you're interested. All right. I'll, I'll check that out then. Uh, I'm kind of interested, but I gotta say, I'm not like, I I don't know anything about Alex Jones. I I don't, I don't think I've ever listened to five minutes of Alex Jones. Like I understand that he's a person out there, but he's just not, I don't know. I've never really. Yeah. I can understand that because you really shouldn't listen to him at all. Even for like observational purposes, really, it's just like brain rot. No, I, I mean, at I, the same time, yeah, he's like mm-hmm. the nexus of the current right wing media ecosystem. How it's really turned into the thing that it is right now, and also like basically like all of Trump world. I mean, I don't think people realize this, but like he's you know friends with Stuart Rhodes, who's the head of the Oath Keepers. The Oath Keepers is an Infowars organization. It was announced live on his show originally. Yeah, he's promoted it. Roger yeah, Stone like is a I, contributor. Mm-hmm. Like there's this it, he's just like the center of all these things. And then there's little there's people that he interfaces with that get his message out, laundering it to a wider audience. So like Tucker Carlson is one of them. Um, but like I'd say the biggest one that people don't realize is Joe Rogan. Like Joe Rogan has been friends with him for over 20 years. Joe Rogan was on Infowars on 9-11 talking about the attacks. I mean, granted, he was sane <laughs> compared to Infowars, mm-hmm. but like he is still weird. He called Alex Jones on January 6th. He's been laundering Alex Jones's reputation. What did he say to Alex Jones on January 6th? It's not clear. Alex Jones announced that he was calling him on the 6th, but he didn't actually take the call so i so actually i should say then too that we don't know that he actually called alex jones claims that he called and it seems likely so um, it, he why wouldn't he take the call from joe rogan i mean was joe rogan calling to tell him maybe don't don't storm my capital <laughs> or don't enc- yeah. encourage this that seems pretty likely because it's when like everyone was going on like when when the capital was just getting breached he was live on air I mean, the Infowars, Infowars coverage from that day is crazy. I mean, they're 
their announcer, you know, uh, that was live on the air said like, um, the Patriots are in the building. They've reached the Capitol. Um, it's just something like that. They were basically cheering this on for a while until Alex Jones told them like, oh, no, this is going to get us into legal trouble. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll keep, I'll keep my eyes peeled. I can't promise I'm going to become an, an expert on, on that particular corner of the internet anytime soon, but you know, I guess it, but it is it, important it, to know about cause it's like, this is where the like lack of conversation is coming from the, the, this, this particular tactic that's become so prevalent in especially the right wing media ecosystem of how to throw up random like not even facts, but just like quips and keep diverting the conversation and spinning it around. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also like, he's just crazy and he's involved with a bunch of like fundamentalist evangelical stuff. Um, he taught rants a lot about the devil. It's just garbage. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll I'll update myself and thank you for uh, calling in, David. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. All right, I was have just kind of curious if you heard anything about the court process. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got nothing for you there. Oh yeah, no, it's, uh, no problem. Okay, Doug. Thanks for calling in. No right. problem. Bye. Bye, bye, Gary. What's on your mind this evening? Uh, interesting little sidetrack there. Um, although. I will take 10 minutes, I mean, 10 seconds just to say um, that that eco, he was right that paying attention to that ecosystem is very important because um, the people who were kind of in touch with that ecosystem not only were not surprised that Trump won, but sort of expected it. So for that reason, that reason alone, I think politically, very important to sort of be in touch. Yeah, I, I completely agree, but I'm barely sitting upright. I got to tell you guys right now. So the idea, you know, I, I consume as much media as I physically can, and sometimes things fall across by the wayside, and the Alex Jones trial was one of them. I hope you guys can forgive me. So what oh, no, is you, on your... you do enough. You do enough. <laughs> What's on your mind this evening? <laughs> although, although you should have him on the show. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so we're in uh, two issues, two, um, um, I guess, yeah, issues with regard to the, you know, great interview that you do, as you always do. Um, one is the substance, which is which is key to talk about um, what we're going to do to have a planet um, to leave to uh, to next to future generations. Mm-hmm. But then two, as you know, one of your favorite uh, subjects is the communication and the messaging, mm-hmm. and even the messenger. And I, I always get frustrated. And you you talk about this a lot. You have a great instinct for this. The alienation and almost seemingly either the deliberate or sort of nonchalant alienation of people who are within the same class that you're trying to reach on these very important issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm listening to the to the interview, and he drops the the trucker protests or Nazis bomb on there, and I'm like, that that was literally like a labor protest in. Like, like that we've never seen in our entire lifetime, and he called it. A, he called them Nazis. I'm like, it's, it's not. So he's having. He has an interesting message. I don't know if you know. I, it is obviously quibbles with, with um, you know, targeting personal behavior, individual behavior to solve systemic issues. But um, 
it's still an important conversation to have. Mm-hmm. When I was listening to him, I was like, this is an important conversation to have. People should be having it all the time. But a guy who refers to literally one of the biggest, if not the biggest labor protests of our lifetime as Nazis, or as not associated with Nazism, is likely not the guy to be, you know, leading the charge on this issue. Look, I... And I, 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 shocked, don't... I was shocked when he said that. So I don't know that I would describe the trucker protest as the bigger, biggest labor protest of our time. Well, and... it certainly was. Well, I just don't know that that's true. Certainly not in the United States. In any context. I mean, literally, it was literally like what, like a group, like literally a group of workers got together. And no, no, no. My, my, my argument isn't about whether it's a labor protest. My argument is its size and significance. Okay. Yeah, I just I, don't think it was that big. I, I, that's not shade. It's just biggest okay. labor protests of our time that just feels like a lot we had the teacher strikes a few years back we had all those wildcat strikes we've had dozens of amazon stores unionizing we've you know and what's our of our time in the last like year last 20 years i don't, I don't know what this but i'm just saying that seems like a, a bit of an, an overstatement well this Remember, one made a government very angry which is which tells you you know speaks directly to its efficacy well, that's the thing. I think it had a much more significant impact in Canada, but it, it didn't really do anything in the United States. It was like a news story for a few days. The protest that was supposed to come to D.C. never really manifested. They were kept outside of the city, rightly or wrongly, and it didn't have the same effect as it had in Canada. Okay. Right? Am I wrong? Yeah, obviously it wasn't an international thing. It was, it was sort of restricted to Canada, but even, as, even though it was restricted to Canada, um, I think it, the, the symbolism of it um, was pretty profound. And I think um, for people who are were following it and following the people involved, I think it does have resonance beyond the, even the, the, the protest itself. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't under, understate that. So that so that's just that. And and then, you know, I also obviously disagree with the flat characterization of everybody involved. There were obviously a lot of people involved who were non-white. Again, most of this was in Canada. And so there were a lot of, obviously you know, South Asian truckers and people from different places who would not describe themselves as Nazis. And I don't think can really be described as Nazis. Um, There obviously were some right-wing sentiments in the mix, um, but that doesn't necessarily invalidate the entire effort. And we've talked about that at length on the show. So I take your point, you know, I I take your point. There was also a moment where he said something about, Flyover country, I forget what it was now, but something about, oh, the people who are doing death threats at him are Midwesterners without passports, which was not a really fair jab. He's extraordinarily bourgeois. I mean, that's what I was getting when I was listening to him. I was like, this dude would never, ever drive a truck in his life, sitting up on his ivory tower, you know, having brunches, sipping wine and and cheese with his buddies, talking about, you know, the, the unwashed masses. You know, well, not wine and cheese. The, I mean, maybe wine, but not cheese because... Oh, yeah, yeah. a good point, yeah, because the animals. Vegan. He's having soy cheese. Yeah, he's having the soy cheese, um, which is doing a lot to his endocrine system, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, to me, like I said, the messaging, I was, you know, I'm engaging with the substance. There's definitely critiques to be had. Um, I think uh, one of the main critiques, and it goes back to the Copenhagen Accords of 09, where literally the entire bag was supposed to be held by the developing world while the first world sort of you know, continues to live high on the hog. And, and it's sort of a kind of 
you know, always leaving the poorest people holding the bag for, for this improvement that needs to be sort of spearheaded by the first world. I mean, that's legitimate critique. I mean, how you get that done, I don't think starts with not eating hamburgers. I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's an industry level um, restructuring that needs to take place, but you know, that, that's not, I don't think that starts with individuals diet, especially, you know, when you're sort of curtailing access to important nutrition. You yeah, know, on behalf of the earth. My, it's weird because I, I really do feel like if there was a world where they were like, we're not doing meat anymore. They're just like, it's we're going to actually make it cost what it should cost. We're not going to subsidize this stuff anymore. We're going to impose the environmental regulations that should be imposed and the anti-cruelty regulations that should be imposed. And it's going to make meat really, really expensive so as it's out of the reach of most people. I... I would maybe grouse under my breath a little bit, but I'd be ready to go. But Brianna Joy Gray in her individual capacity is going to really struggle not to eat the foods that are readily available to me on every corner for low prices. And it does feel like a lot to expect. I mean, everyone should challenge themselves to do better, and I definitely can eat less meat than I do. But I, it does feel weird, not just from a policy perspective to put it on individuals, but also – there are a lot of things that I would agree to if it were public policy, but I'm just not going to do. It's like why we have social security because we all know we should save for when we're old, but we just don't. It's human nature. We just don't like short term needs come up. And if someone doesn't rip the money out of our paychecks and put it away, we just will spend it, you know, because we don't even know how long we're going to live, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what did you make of all of the, the idea that these synthetic proteins or these bacterial-based proteins are going to be a, sub- a workable substitute. Yeah, I mean, that's not, I mean, there are no synthetic substitutes to, like, actual real, like, products. I say anybody who wants to eat uh, Impossible Burgers or whatever the case may be, you, have, you knock yourself out, go right ahead. But, um, you know, I think sane people are going to continue to eat actual meat. I mean, um, I do have these, I, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I just want to agree. I mean, I want to second it. I think one of the things, one of the kind of points, you know, the bullet points that I that I kind of mentally jotted down when you were talking to him was, yes, quality over quantity. I think like when I talked about structural uh, restructuring, it is the, our meat industry right now is kind of designed toward mass, um, you know, kind of mass production, but at low, at low cost. I think we need to go in a complete opposite direction, as you said. We need to go free range. We need to go actual like actual grass fed which is going to be which is going to produce less and cost way more but it's going to have a it's going to be more homeostatic with the environment right and thus that that structurally kind of solves the meat industry problem so to speak without turning everyone into vegans and you know feeding everyone cricket well i mean some people are going to continue to be vegan because they just have an ethical issue with killing of animals regardless of how they're treated during life and i respect that but i you know i do have some concerns about you know evolution has been a long process and the same way that taking isolated vitamins is not the same as getting them as part of your food source because you know your body can't metabolize vitamin D if you don't also have vitamin C and like nature makes these beautiful little packages that give you everything you need to actually absorb the nutrients in the way that they need to be absorbed. And you don't get that when you process things and distill them. And I don't know, you know, I don't know that adding in stuff to this bacterial powder is really gonna 
do what we need to do and how that how is that going to interact with all of your systems and yada 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 like i like i i'm much more open to the idea or not open to i'm open to all of it but i'm much more um taken in by the idea of eating crickets to be honest because at least that's like a thing (laughs) (laughs) exactly reinventing the wheel it's like an animal that's like eating it's like part of the life cycle (laughs) and it's it's like eating nutrients and decaying into the earth like the rest of us i mean bacteria are too i don't mean to be ridiculous about it but it just seems so much closer to what we were already eating and many people do eat insects all over the world and we know that that works I don't know. That's going to be a tough sell. Like, I'm fascinated by the idea of how we've been propagandized to think that little farms with sheep are idyllic and the petting zoos and all of the stuff in the children's books. And we don't really – we think that fixing our agriculture – our, um, you know, our food system means returning to, like, Babe and Charlotte's Web and whatever. And the idea that even Babe and Charlotte's Web were bad and that's a kind of prop- big farm propaganda is fascinating to me. But it's also, ooh, it's going to be such an uphill messaging climb to get people from, like, Charlotte's Web to bacteria powder. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's a, that's, especially as more science comes out, like I said, and I, you are obviously one of the more astute people in the space, um, trust but verify. If, if someone has some kind of theoretical alternative, uh, make them prove that it's actually a legitimate alternative. And I don't yeah. think that that proof exists. Um, and I think that that's kind of where we have to put those um, suggestions in a holding pattern until they do have more to produce. Um, and I think that's um, that's kind of where we are. Like it's like you know, it's like I said, these are conversations that are ongoing. And I think it's important that that we have these conversations. It's just hopefully they can find somebody better than than this guy. I mean, good lord, Jesus. Well, I don't you think know. yeah, I don't think he's necessarily leaving the cultural revolution here. But I appreciate you calling in, Gary. Uh, I, I, and just like this sidebar, cause, you know, so, so we're going off topic occasionally. Um, I do, I did want to get your take on the Kim Iverson uh, departure. And I don't know if you could even get into that. Oh, but, we talked uh, about it. We talked about it on the last call in. So I don't want to oh, bore people too okay. much yeah, about right. it. All right. Sorry. But yeah, you know, she's. I think it's unfortunate that she's gone. I completely understand her concerns and i i wouldn't have liked how it was handled either you know i i also wish she had been able to do that interview and i respect her choice oh she would have filleted him like a fish and just just to, on, on another note between you alimi and batia i mean i'm telling you you got some of the sharpest people on that show right now so it's not even like i'm i'm going away because she's gone although i, I was i was one of the the legion of kim fans like i said <laughs> you, you had you guys represent some of the sharper um people in the space so uh, every time I tune in, I know I'm going to get good commentary. Well, I appreciate that. You know, she's, I think, you know, she's got her own channel now. So I hope you're over there checking that stuff out as well. Oh, of course. You already know. <laughs> All right. Thanks for <laughs> calling in, Gary. All right. Take care. You too. All right. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Aaliyah, what's on your mind? Hey, wait, can you hear me? I can. What's going on? Oh my gosh. I was not fully prepared. I apologize. Um, yeah. Take your time. Collect yourself. I know I, <laughs> I sprung this on you. Note to everyone in line. I'm jumping around now. And don't get comfortable just because you're in the front either because I will be coming back. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I still – I haven't listened to the whole episode today. I have like 30 minutes left of it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Giving up meat and, and dairy, right? I mean I would uh, – would that kind of – 
be a part of it too because that's kind of in the same yes he says dairy now your girl is already dairy free because her skin doesn't like it uh (laughs) however i asked him after we wrapped because um producer armand is vegan and they were talking afterward like and he was like i'm vegan and they were like vibing over that and i was like feeling left out and i was like look 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 i can do it but like what about eggs i need eggs i need to eat eggs eggs are like the only thing i can eat please don't take eggs for me like it doesn't kill anybody right you know it's not hurting anybody i feel like it's it, i buy this i buy like the six seven dollar eggs okay i take my lump of flesh i i'll pay for the like the chickens i get pet on the head every day and rock to sleep at night with like brahms lullabies but let me have eggs. And he was like, no. And I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love eggs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, have you ever tried to uh, cut cut meat from your diet or yeah, go I to Meatless Mondays or anything like that? Well, I have tried. I mean, there were a couple of times when I was a kid where I was like, oh, I'm going to be vegetarian now because mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know be complicit in the process of hurting animals or whatever mm-hmm. um but then it just never lasted so i haven't really like fully tried i've tried to dab into the pescatarian you know that whole thing because i really love fish and mm-hmm. if i only have fish then i might be okay but it's hard oh my god like chicken is everything and it's just it's i but i mean it it it's the planet at the end of the day. So it's like, what, what's more important at this point? I, I don't know. I guess it just sucks because it's like, you know, these fucking fossil fuel companies just, you know, mm-hmm. are, are the cause of so much of what our planet is going through. So it's just, you know, it, 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 it's difficult to think about the fact that it could just have to, it, it could just have to be up to us, I guess, to, do something or get something started or I don't, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating, but yeah. And it's hard to even like find, you know, certain like vegan stuff in the Midwest and stuff like that. Like certain things are. It's people, to... people do not, people are not honest about this. So I'm, I'm not vegan. I have been pescatarian in the past, but mm-hmm. I, I am gluten free and largely dairy free like i don't care if there's like butter and something obviously or mm-hmm. like a sprinkling of cheese in the salad or whatever but i don't go out i don't drink milk i mm-hmm. do not drink milk i do not drink dairy based ice cream again not because i'm a good person but because i'm vain and i am tired of acne <laughs> so i my in my experience in the united states of america it is almost impossible to feed yourself out in the world without there being gluten involved. Americans love to put something between two slices of bread or wrap it up in a flour tortilla. Like if you go to Dunkin' Donuts, like if you're on, if you're in an airport, if you're, if you're like driving on a trip and you stop at a gas station side of the road, all of that, you're either going to pay too much money for a nasty iceberg salad that also still has croutons in it, (laughs) or you are, gonna have to suck it up and eat some meat the number of times i've eaten the inside of a sandwich <laughs> you know or the the inside of a breakfast burrito you know burrito like tacos there's a corn tor- corn tortillas are right there but people don't like to use them corn tortillas are right there <laughs> and they will intentionally take them out of anything breakfast related it makes me crazy 
And so, like, and that's not, I don't even have, like, a real allergy. I don't have, like, celiacs or anything like that. So I, I, I do feel like people understand how difficult it is to, to feed yourself, especially if you have financial constraints. Because sometimes right. I will pony up for that horrible $18 airport salad. But it, if, you know, not everyone is able to do that. And the, and the cheap, meaty, bready, cheesy food is cheap. Exactly, exactly. That That's the predicament I find myself in very often, especially as of recently. Like, I feel like working this shitty 40 hour fucked up system we have um mm. is also adding to me like being too exhausted to even give a fuck about my diet like mm-hmm. why can't i you know just go through this drive through real quick it's already made for me you know mm-hmm. like it's just things like that as well that just really make it difficult so it's you know just you know capitalism at it again um but mm-hmm. i yeah. will say that when i was in france a couple of weeks ago in the airport uh i went there was only like one little place open. There was a long line. Everyone was mad about it. But when I got to the front of that line, expecting to have to buy a sandwich, they had these little, like a little plastic cup that had like lentils on the bottom and then like arugula and like spring peas or something and like a little crumble of like feta or something and a little dressing and on the top, oh, and then a soft boiled egg and a little chunk of smoked salmon. And it was like four bucks oh, <laughs> in wow. an airport. And I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> oh, my God. And it was delicious and it was fresh and it was healthy and it was not expensive. Oh, can't relate whatsoever. Oh my it, you know, like a little Pret-a-Manger cup kind of thing. But they will be charging you like $6 and there was no smoked salmon in that bad boy. I'll tell you that. Right. A no. soft boiled egg. A soft boiled egg. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, so yes. things can be different. Like we just don't yeah. choose those choices. Exactly. And it's just oh my god, it's so frustrating. But real quick, I mm-hmm. I wanted to say, oh, it's Obama's birthday. Yay. Yeah, I did. Um see that. <laughs> I saw it on the shade room. I was like, "Oh my god, shut up." <laughs> um and then I saw the rising you did um about the AOC and you know, possibly being a a good contender, I guess, to replace Biden's mm-hmm. 2024 run. Mm-hmm. And I definitely have been thinking about that as well, because like, are you really going to put Mayor Pete up there? Like, are you really going to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, that is absolutely like you're asking to like, what? So I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll buy, like, I'm still like kind of skeptical if Biden will even like, like is like it's not fully confirmed that he's gonna not run right like it's he's no could he could but i'm telling you the second jerry nadler and carolyn maloney are talking about i don't think he's gonna run (laughs) that that's not just like cory bush and the progressives who already you know are no fans Mm -hmm. of his Mm -hmm. if if like establishment big time establishment democrats are saying things like that I think it's uh, I think it's over. And when I heard, I know I don't want to read into. I've been mentioning Podsave a lot, but those Podsave boys, I mean, you know, they know what's happening. They're friend, they're the insideriest insiders there are. Mm-hmm. And I, they keep repeating this line that I've heard other people also repeat, which is, "We'll talk about it after midterms." Which, if there's something to talk about, why would you say that? Right. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Okay. Yeah. So. 
I mean, I don't know if AOC would even want to run. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like going from house to that, would, is that like a big jump? I feel like, I don't know if maybe that's not. I mean, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Who has come from the house to run? I'm trying to yeah. mind scan the field. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of people who are not in elected office at all who have run. Andrew right, Yang, right, right. Marianne Williamson, Bill yeah. de Blasio was never in Congress. Yeah, I guess um, I just I I wonder if she would be, I guess, prepared to take on that because it seems like, I mean, just being in the house is maybe a lot for her. I, I, I don't know the ins and outs. Obviously, we none of us do, I guess, but... I don't know, just the whole force of vote situation and like Nancy Pelosi and just I don't know the the establishment wing and her kind of you know feeding into that. It is just it concerns me obviously, um, but I mean I would definitely vote for her you know over Joe Biden. So there's that. Um, but yeah. Well, so this is part of what um, an upcoming episode with India Walton is about because she's part of this. Um... Uh, organization will push to root action push to get Joe not to run. And I was asking her, okay, totally. But if not Joe, who do you have in mind? Because I think we should be thinking a little farther than just get rid of Joe because they could replace Joe with Pete Buttigieg and set him up for a legacy that's a lot worse than just a short-term Joe Biden. Right. And if the goal is to get certain policies enacted that you don't think Joe Biden is going to do – then who is going to do them and how can we make sure that that is successful? And, you know, I pushed her on it. It's difficult to get people though, to really commit to who they think would be a good idea. And, you know, my dream person doesn't exist, but you know, it's obviously true that AOC is better than Biden, but let's work, let's work that through. If it's going to be AOC, then there needs to be a lot of reckoning happening on the left because right now, like all hands need to be on deck and the way that they were for Bernie and they're not right now Yeah, for her. And I think that they could be if we decide that they should be, but she needs to, you know, reckon with some critique yeah. and come to terms with some of the criticisms that have come her way and demonstrate to people that she's going to behave differently than she has in the context of the last two years ish. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I fully agree with that because, uh, yeah, there's a lot of reckoning to be done. Um, and another thing, just I saw the Andrew Yang Rising interview, obviously, um, and I loved when Robbie said, well, I personally don't care if you take corporate <laughs> money. And I was like, shut <laughs> the fuck up, Robbie. Oh, my God. Like, obviously, yes, that influence. Like, money, I, I mean, m money is the root of all evil really low-key like it's yeah. it's really just greed that just traps these these politicians that are supposed to work for their constituents into just solely working for their donors and it's you know it's just so obvious at this point so i obviously like not taking corporate money is a huge thing when you're trying to start a party and like I don't know, like, Andrew Yang has just said some really, like, questionable things, some things I flat out have disagreed with, and, like, this did not help his case all that much for me, um, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, skeptical on where he's gonna take the, the forward party, um, mm -hmm. it's just not looking too 
bright uh, for me right now, but that's just me. That's just me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and I DM'd him right after we cut and was like, you need to come on Bad Faith for a longer conversation. He says, sure. So hopefully we can get him on uh, again because now this is really happening. And you know, on the in, on the interview, which people should go and watch, I, I thought there was a good lineup today. I enjoyed watching Katie on the show. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he kind of deflected to, uh, you know, take a look. You know, we're not taking corporate money. Like, you're, off, you're 100% taking corporate money. But I think a lot of the disclosures haven't come through yet. So it's a bit of a black box at this point. Like how Elizabeth Warren could get away with saying she wasn't taking billionaire money because – she didn't have to disclose that she took that last, whatever, $9 billion or whatever mm-hmm. from that one California lady mm-hmm. to keep her in the race through Super Tuesday until after the race is basically over. Um, I think it's, that's kind of what's going on with Andrew Yang. So, you know, he's got to reckon with this reality. And I, the reason I'm pushing him is that I'm rooting for him. You know, I would love there to be a very well-funded third-party effort. I want that mm-hmm. to be the case. But I can't be involved with that. If you don't have some guardrails up, I can't be involved with that. Like, I would love to, like, be involved in, like, cheerleading for it, but not in this form. Yeah. And I think a lot of leftists feel that way. Like, I'm I'm not some Pollyanna. I'm not mad. Like, this is the point of my radar. Also, by the way, so many conservatives are like, I can't believe she's advocating for AOC. How dumb can she be to advocate for AOC? It's like the listening co- skills comprehension is just really, it's really taxing. Like, I don't care if you disagree with me. But I need you to not so aggressively misunderstand me. Like, you really, like, you you heard me talking for 15 minutes about all the reasons the left was mad at AOC, and you took from that Brianna really wants AOC to be president. I can't, I sometimes I cannot with people. I'm about to sleep so hard tonight, I can't even begin to tell you. But the, the, the point is that, um, you know, I, I, I really do, I do want alternatives, and I want this to work, and it's just very frustrating it's just really like, it's not enough to be just nice. And he's so nice, but it's not enough. And one of the producers afterward was like, I'm conservative and Andrew Yang's the only progressive that I like. I was like, because mm. <laughs> he's not progressive. Right. I, and I, and I, I like him. It's not about interpersonal. Interpersonally, I think he's like just so sweet. Mm-hmm. But who cares? Right. <laughs> That's not right. what this is about. <laughs> And it, it frustrates me because you can get really far on just being like a nice guy and saying, let's just be together and let's not fight. Yeah. You can get a really long way doing that. But is it snake oil? Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good. I don't know. I mean, I have I, I want like like you said, I, I'm rooting for a third party effort. This would be i mean a parliamentarian system would be fantastic to actually have that like in place mm-hmm. i don't know if it just seems so like far-fetched and out of reach to me right now but like i you know i like to dream big um and i think that these things are possible they're absolutely doable and with enough effort you know it can be done it's just kind of waking and enough people up to the realities i guess some way somehow i, I don't know but um, and one last thing, mm-hmm. have you done a public transportation type of episode for Bad Faith yet? No, say more. I I mean, I don't have much to say. I mean, I just would definitely be interested in that because, I mean, I guess that kind of relates to the climate in a way as well, mm-hmm. um, because I I know personally, if I had like a 
if if the U.S. as a whole had a really good public transportation system, mm-hmm. I would probably choose not to drive. One, because it's cheaper. And two, because I wouldn't stress myself out so much driving with these fucking idiots on the road. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that would help a lot in climate and also just in getting, you know, maybe board working people to different you know areas easier like in rural communities obviously it's really difficult to get you know to certain places to have internet access even so um and I watched I know Hassan Minhaj did an episode of his Netflix show on public transportation and it I think that was kind of my first like introduction to the reality of like how bad our um mm-hmm. public transportation system is and just like how a lot of things could be solved if we actually had an efficient one kind of like how Europe does I guess mm-hmm. um so yeah I don't know who you would talk to about that but <laughs> I think it would that's be always the question so. no that's yeah. I think that's a great I mean who killed the electric car why don't we have what high-speed trains those kinds of episodes I think yeah um, are informative and good and I think it's a good idea I'll look into it um so thank you thank you for calling in yes thank you for taking my call have a good night you too all right let's hoppity hop hop let's do Sarah what's on your mind tonight Sarah Hi, Bri Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi. I'm so excited. Um, I love you. I've been listening to you from the start. Yeah. And um, when I saw the topic, I actually haven't listened to the episode yet. But when I saw the topic, I knew I had to call in. I'm vegan. I love being vegan. Tell and us everything. So- <laughs> um. So when did I, I went vegan in two, two, uh, 2007 mm-hmm. and um, it was by total accident. I was not planning to go vegan. I did not want to go vegan. I was very much enjoying my meat and my cheese. Um, but I had, I had a friend whose mother was dying from cancer mm-hmm. and she recommended this book to her mom. It was, it's called the rave diet. It's an acronym. And I was just interested in the book just for health reasons because I was having some health problems. And it came with a video. And the video had, like, I think it was four different reasons why you should have this plant-based diet. And it was health. And then it was environmental reasons. And then it went into animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. And um, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, you know this is, this all sounds great. Like, I think I should try to be vegetarian. And then when it got to the animal cruelty part, I lost my fucking mind. I went, I was hysterical, sobbing my eyes out. I went literally on a wild rampage that night, took every meat and dairy product out of my house and like hurled it into the garbage. Mm. And like, documented myself my like my red and tear-stained face and I was like never again will I be part of this system of absolute cruelty and barbaric torture and murder and um I haven't looked back since um 
it's been a wild ride. There's definitely, you know, some challenges, but we're so blessed um, in the U.S. And I know some places more than others. I happen to be very lucky. I live in L.A. Um, there's tons of vegan options, but you you know you find yourself having to cook more. And I had no idea what was what I was doing. I didn't mm-hmm. know what to eat. I was eating like in the beginning just all kinds of processed stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say now, you know, for me, like my veganism, even though it, like the the environmental impact, is huge for me, and and a big reason to be vegan for everybody. But for me, it was really the animal stuff and. Um, I, I learned, I started looking into different vegans. Like there's, there's, um, abolitionist vegans, though there's like welfare, animal welfareists. And I really aligned to, um, or with his name is, um, Gary Francione. And he is like more talks about the abolitionist movement. And, um, you know, right. Like my veganism is like a commitment to nonviolence for me. Mm-hmm. And it's joyful. It's so joyful because I, I, what I put into my body, I know is not, you know, pain and suffering. And, you know, it's been hard because I keep falling in love with people that are not vegan. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't even lived my full vegan joy, but I'm single again. And I just made that determination. Like I will have a vegan partner, but yeah, I'm so glad you did this episode because God, if there's one way to have people people go berserk and lose their minds and attack you and slander you viciously, it's talking about veganism. <laughs> well, that's what George said. Yeah. I, um, I so I watched one of those videos. I don't know which movie it was, but it it's it talked a lot about the it, whatever it is the largest ever study over the longest time of people who eat a plant based diet, and it was like this Chinese study that just had tons and tons of people involved yeah. and the health benefits were like glaring. Um, and after I saw that movie, I felt very inspired to do it. Like the movie was also pretty funny because it, it really hid the ball of the, that it was talking about veganism. It was like using all these euphemisms for what the special <laughs> Chinese diet was before they got to the end. They're like, oh, this is a plant-based, this is veganism. Whatever um, works. Whatever, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. So, you know, the incentive is there. But when you say you have to cook a lot, that's already, like, that's the issue. And that's what I find often with um, the gluten-free stuff. I either have to cook a lot or I have to pay a lot of money for stuff and, and take out, you know. My, I go to brunch and my friend gets a breakfast sandwich and I have to get the full breakfast platter, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that sort of a thing. And then like not eat half of it. That's just for avoiding gluten. So I do, I do think it's, I don't know, like a part of me wishes they would just, you know, ban meat. So then everyone have to start selling stuff that made it easier to eat. Well, there is a lot of stuff. I mean, it really depends, obviously, on also what kind of food you like. And then being gluten-free is a totally – adds another level to it. Um, and the but, soy you know, and the tempeh and all of the processed stuff is not – the so- soy lecithin or whatever it is that's in everything also is not a good look. Yeah. You know, I don't – I generally don't like fake, you know, whether it's like fake gluten stuff 
fake meats or fake, or fake meats yeah. like any of it like all of it is not i'm not a fan of which puts you in a place of having to cook vegetables and beans and i would still eat eggs <laughs> but like to actually have to cook those things yeah i mean i think because i've like gone through such a when i was when i first went vegan i was like i don't know I was really militant and I wanted everybody to go vegan and I wanted them to know what I learned because I thought that they would react the same way that I did mm-hmm. and they didn't. And I, and I got sad and I got resentful and I didn't understand. And I really like changed the way that I talk to people about it, the way I deal with people. And, you know, if it's like a slow transition transition, like that's amazing. That's great. And there are, when I say cook a lot, I don't mean, cause I'm not a person that likes to to cook a ton either. So I have like my ma- my meals that I've kind of worked out what work well for me. And I usually cook a large batch of something that I really love and I'll enjoy it through the week. Um, and it's not super complex dishes or anything like that. But when I think of like, cause you know, people like the, the guy on earlier, he, he's like talking, you know, people want to talk trash about, you know, beyond burgers and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that might not not be your thing and you may not be into it. And there may, you know, obviously these are not the most healthy meals that you can have, but then it's like, he said like an, an insane person is the one that eats meat. And, and I really have to question that because I'm like, you are turning down fake meat, which is basically made of beans, some unhealthy oils and some other ingredients like as opposed to like literal rotting flesh of a living creature that has feelings and emotions and a desire to live. And it was perfectly murdered. So I'm like, actually, I don't really think that is the same choice to me. It doesn't seem like it. Well, this is the argument that George was making that you might think bacteria flowers gross, but look how gross um, milk is when you think about what cheese is. And I think that's perfectly fair. I think a lot of folks, don't have an issue with the fact of killing an animal for food, even if they have a problem with the cruelty of how the animal is raised. I think I'm kind of in that camp um, in a world where, and this is kind of where I've landed in my life. Again, I, I'm throwing money at the problem. So I'll buy my, the most humane meat that, uh, that uh, what's his name? Jeff Bezos will sell me, LOL. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's kind of where I landed. I was buying the most expensive eggs in the store, but I, you know, I want to eat eggs. I don't, I'm not quite at a place where I, because, you know, I, I have I have a lot of these issues with speciesism and the fact that we're okay with killing some things and not other things. Yes. Like, I do think there's a, a weird way and like, like unless you're the kind of person who only eats the vegetable once it falls from the tree you know then there's yeah. there is well i'm not no I, no right and so like, i'm saying there's there's ethical implications in all of it and i don't know quite how far i want to go with all of that but i see those animal cruelty videos glenn you know is a real ch- glenn greenwald is a real champion on those kinds of things as well and it's yes, it's horrific it. and the idea of saying well i'm not going to eat you know, pork because it's particularly cruel and the animals are particularly smart. I mean, that's kind of easy. I didn't grow up eating pork anyway, but the, you know, I, I hear people in the chat saying, well, what about free range chicken? And what about, you know, fish? And what about other kinds of things? And me asking George at the end, like, okay, but what about eggs? 
I do think sometimes it's more persuasive to talk people into moving in the right, in a, in a better direction, excuse me, as opposed to making some of the broader kind of moral and ethical leaps. And I will say that when I went pescatarian for six months, it was because I had this conversation with Nathan Robinson and his push was just to like do a little better and not like to be exactly like him. And I found that to be so much easier to swallow than the idea of going cold Turkey. I think that's fair. I, I mean, for me, like the way it happened, it, it, it was a cold Turkey change mm-hmm. and, and that was just my path. But you know, if people, however people get there, I think that's amazing. I, and I know that there's so much that, food represents it's it's our it's our childhood it's our family it's our culture and there's so much wrapped up into the food that we eat and there's so many associations and like it's a really deep thing so I understand you know that there people have to do a lot of work around that and you know I just think as a as a planet I, I feel like we're we're in a process of coming back together of the oneness of all life and that we're more and more starting to see ourselves in the lives of other living things. And for me, that's what it is just like as an, as an empath, mm-hmm. like I see myself in every living being. I, I don't know. And, and I don't want to get too spiritual and like woo woo, but that's really what it boils down to is I see no difference and I can live actually far healthier on a, on a plant-based diet. So I don't feel that I'm giving anything up. I feel that I've gained everything and I can look now into the eyes of any living creature. And there's, and and I I know some people don't feel this, but like there's total connection and like oneness and respect and dignity for all life. And I, I mean, it just makes me feel good. So yeah, Yeah. I, Mm -hmm. I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm just really grateful that you, that you even did this episode because a lot of people, they will not touch this topic because people, like I said, they go, they go insane. People go insane. And so, yeah, it's, it's true. You know, it's, again, it, I don't, I don't make any excuses. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you're completely right. You know, I see those videos on Twit on Twitter, not Twitter. I can't even think. I need to go to sleep. Those videos <laughs> on um, TikTok or whatever with the big, beautiful cows like the one in your avatar, putting their, you know, listening to music or putting their head on somebody's lap and getting scratched yeah. behind the ears, and I'm saying, like, oh yeah, they're like dogs. They're all like it's it's like it's like what you said when we talk. You know, like we. We would never hurt or harm her if someone was right. But I was going somewhere else with that, my friend. I was going to. I would totally eat a dog. Like my. Oh my my god! Would you free? Of course I would. Because that's the thing. Like I completely accept that there's hypocrisy there, and my response to that hypocrisy is like, why wouldn't I eat the dog? The the guy I'm dating hates when I say this because he has he's the sweetest dog, and I love his dog. But like, how can I principle? Like, obviously, you're not going to eat the dog you like. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there's something like objectively different about a dog and a pig and a cow. They're, you know, and a, and a chicken. You know, well, I, I do rare. believe. Most people do not, would not say that and do not feel that way. So, I mean, I, I respect like your. I mean, I'd eat a person. This is, this was my most, well, this is on a call in that we darling. had this. I think it's much more ethical. Maybe it was Katie Halper I was talking to about this. It's much more ethical to eat 
a consensual, a consent, a consensually provided person part because a person can actually consent in a way that an animal can't and all these other things. And people freak out about that. But I'm like, no, there was this BuzzFeed story years ago about a professional chef who had to have his leg amputated for some reason. And he got the leg, put it in his freezer and invited his friends over consensually. They, he disclosed that they were going to be eating, you know, Tom's leg and (laughs) prepared his leg in a variety of ways. Different parts of the leg, da, 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 so that everyone can experience what it was like to eat, you know, Tom. See, I have no problem with that. I I don't either. That's yeah. his leg. He wants to consume it and eat it, and other people decided. Like, if the, like you said, it's consensual. It was decided upon and agreed upon. Like to me, that's fine. Most most ethical meat in the world. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of humans that. I don't want to eat them, but I would like someone else to eat them. (laughs) I can think of quite a few. Mostly these politicians we drone on about on your. (laughs) But yeah, so I just wanted to tell you I'm grateful and and encourage anybody out there that might be thinking of making the switch. And if, if it is a slow process and that's what works for you, like, that's great. Like, even if you're doing one day, um, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. I'm so grateful that you that you talked about this. All right, guys, let's do Meatless Mondays, and I'll keep up my um, uh, habit of eating an unhealthy amount of salmon, <laughs> 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 which is my go-to. Thanks for calling in, Sarah. Thank you, Bree. Take care. Take care. Keep the faith. Thank you. Bye. All right, Jim, I'm coming to you. I'm trying to find newbies in the crowd. What's on your mind? Uh, Hey, can you hear me? I can, Jim. Oh, well, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, first time, long time. Did I say that right? Yes. Cool beans. I'm glad I properly identified you as a, a first time caller. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I've never seen you before. And they're like, I've called in four times. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Well, um, I don't think I'll be as scintillating as the last caller. <laughs> don't sell yourself short, Jim. Uh, I don't. I honestly don't think I'd eat, uh, well, I did listen to the conversation that you had, mm-hmm. and I was kind of surprised that uh, that nuclear energy didn't come up, or did it? Not that I recall, but say your piece on nuclear energy. Well, nuclear is kind of always left out of the alternative energy conversation when there was a lot of bad misconceptions about it. Some people say it's bad. Some people say it's good. Some people say wind and solar aren't viable. There's a lot of stuff out there. It's all confusing, and some of us just don't know where to start. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on it? I think that nuclear is viable. I think a lot of research needs to be done about it. I think a lot of misconceptions need to be de- need to be de- demystified. Mm-hmm. misconceptions like what like um it's incredibly dangerous when when i don't think it actually is mm-hmm. yeah so i remember you know there were some people pushing back even during the bernie campaign asking why he didn't emphasize it more i know that this is a robust conversation that's happening on the left i can't say that i really 
have a dog in that particular fight. In fact, I was just talking to Katie today about this and we were like, we were using that as an example of these issues that we genuinely don't have positions on, but sometimes we feel pressured in this take market to take a stand and then you get pegged as being anti-nuclear pro nuclear and, and it's how, how toxic that is. But that was literally the example we were talking about, I think yesterday um, of, you know, sometimes, you know, we're evolving our opinions. We're figuring out, we're talking about it. The culture is evolving. Our understanding of things is evolving. And I think that should be fine. So uh, I think we're, you're right. We're overdue for a nuclear episode. We should get people who feel differently about these things on. But, you know, my understanding is, of course, there's risks associated with nuclear energy. Um, and there are concern, legitimate concerns about what to do with the waste. But given the enormity of the climate crisis and the alternative waste products that are being produced, um, you know, at very least maintaining the current level of nuclear energy being used is perhaps a wise stopgap measure. I mean, you're hearing a lot of people talking now about how it's necessary to, you know, keep, you know, maintain drilling levels and all of these kinds of things in the context of this, uh, whatever we're calling this little mini Build Back Better bill. Uh, and that res me kind of the wrong way, too, in the same way that I have been historically kind of skeptical of these nuclear conversations because, you know, what is legitimate, like we're not going to decarbonize tomorrow, fine, um, people still have to get to work tomorrow. Fine. Okay. And how much of it is just a pretext to keep this whole thing going longer than it needs to go? I don't know. That's for experts to talk about. So I'm happy to do a nuclear episode if uh, people are interested in that. And um, another thing I was thinking about during the conversation is, uh, is uh, our suburbs. Mm -hmm. Because we do love our subdivisions. Now, I am a civil engineer, so a lot of land in the U.S. is zoned for single-family housing, so we try to make subdivisions as sustainable as we can, but we love our suburbs. Neil Peart, God rest his soul, tried to warn us about them, but we didn't listen, at least not the way he wanted us to. So you're generally um, saying that we need to do something about suburban sprawl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about uh, sustainable cities, walkable cities. They all sound nice, but I don't know how effective they would actually be. Um, what about emergency vehicles? What about them? Somebody could get hurt. They can need to go to the hospital. What if there's not enough room for them? I'm sorry, not enough room for them in the in the environmental urban city. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm my thoughts are a little disjointed. N no, you're fine. You're fine. I'm just I'm just going to make sure I understand you. So the concern is that we would design. Uh, energy efficient cities, but not design the capacity to have, you know, emergency vehicles be able to be quick and, and, and responsive. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, living in cities and experiencing traffic already, you know, it doesn't seem to me that we currently have in our 
not green environments an efficient way to get people to safety, not to mention the cost of ambulances and stuff, but never mind that. I think that it is also an issue in suburban places that there are because of the sprawl, getting to hospitals quickly is a problem. When I was in France, there was I was at a wedding um, in a, like a small village, and the my, my my mom and brother and I were remarking on how we were driving and driving and driving, and not only was there like no food open when we got in at night, and we had a dinner of our, you know candy from the airport and a month and I still from the plane, but also that there was no, we didn't pass any schools. We didn't pass any hospitals. We didn't pass anything for miles and miles and miles. There was just no like infrastructure of that variety. And we were like, what happens if you get sick? So that's in a place that is not like, that's like an quaint little French village that isn't bad for the environment, but also and it isn't suburban sprawl, but it just is also not necessarily designed for that sort of a thing. So I think that, that is a legitimate problem, but I don't know that that's a problem that's um, specific to kind of uh, environmentally designed tight-knit cities. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but it's something to think about. And definitely, um, I love talking about urban planning uh, and would love to do an urban planning style kind of episode with an environmental bent, especially because I'm kind of in the market for an electric bike. I have been embarrassingly Ubering to the hill <laughs> in the mornings and walking home. And I would like to figure out some a solution because there's no like public transportation. It's like I'm in a weird, like it's a little too far it's like walkable, but it's a, it's like a 40 minute walk, you know? So, um, I've been looking at electric bikes and would love to, you know, have more conversations about, uh, those kind of urban planning things and how to have a uh, better, better design for the future. So thank you for that suggestion and thank you for calling in. Sure thing. All right. Let's go to. Unfamiliar faces. Amanda. What's on your mind, Amanda? How are you doing tonight, Brianna? I'm doing quite well, Amanda. And yourself? I am quite well. I have changed my my uh, avatar because I wanted to talk a little Star Trek with you. Okie dokie. Hit me. So, because... What an episode today, and so defeating to to feel all of that, right? So mm-hmm. let's talk. Let's talk Deep Space Nine and Star Trek. So the avatar I put on my profile, which I will be taking off after this show and changing back to my standard profile, is a drawing that a friend of mine did for my husband for his birthday one year. And it's a threesome of me and two Klingon sisters. (laughs) Oh, I wish this were bigger. Well, so, so, and, and, and we actually, our second date, we were going to watch the final next generation. And it turned out it was the second to last next generation. And then we just kept dating after that. And then we got, ended up getting married. <laughs> I love I that. I got a chance you. to meet Dax oh, uh, yeah? at, a, at a conference. She was mm-hmm. 
pretty schnockered. I think she'd had three or four hurricanes because <laughs> it was in New Orleans. And she was, I think it might have been her third one. And she, she looked at everybody and said, you know, these her, these are pretty strong, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I love that for her. <laughs> yeah, right. It was it was a very, it was it was a it was a it was a fun event. So, um couple of couple of other just quick things. Um you something you said um on one of, on your last show about when the conversation pivots to politics, it's hard to know what to do. So, I have a tactic. So, mm-hmm. I was in politics in local politics, water politics, that's something I love to talk about. So when I got elected, I not people would voluntarily come up to me and talk about it with me, as opposed to me boring mm-hmm. my friends with it. I was like, mm-hmm. yes, this I'm in the right spot. So what I do now is because I am still into it. So call in satisfies a lot of my need to have conversations about. Mm-hmm. And listen to conversations about what's happening and what, what we can do and what we should be doing. So call-in satisfies some of that so I don't have to assault my friends who are not as active in these kinds of circles. Mm-hmm. And when I, get, when I get onto a rant and I notice I'm on a rant, what I do is I go, but I know you don't like to talk about that. And so I voluntarily stop myself. Mm. And I find that then the next time when I bring up something, I can get something in because they're, they're open and they know that I am going to stop myself because mm. I also say I'm really trying to keep myself from talking about this all the time. Mm. Interesting. You know, just acknowledging that so that th- because I, I do notice people will say, gosh, she seems like you always, that's like, can you talk about something <laughs> else for a minute? And, and you're so well-spoken and you choose your words so well. I mean, I just today aggressively misunderstand me. I mean, th- that is such a beautiful turn of phrase that, that, that it's the place where you're comfortable. And so not being able to talk politics kind of in a general social sense probably is I know for me, it's nice to have these conversations where it feels a little safer because people know it's going to be political. Mm-hmm. But I just pivot when I need to because I know that there's a lot of people they can only take in a little bit at a time. You're you're so right about that. I, I've been in situations where um, I have someone in my like intimate life, like a partner, and then we're around other people and something political will come up and they look at me like afraid, like someone, you know, I've just like been dating for a short period of time who doesn't know me well enough to know that I'm not going to go in, you know, when, when you're someone who very publicly, everybody right. knows your political position, right? you know, when something comes up in a crowd, I'll get these fearful glances like, Oh Lord, is Brianna going to respond? Is this going to blow up? And of course I know better than that. I'm not going to like harangue my mom because <laughs> she made a dismissive comment about Fetterman or whatever. Like it's <laughs> relaxed, yeah, yeah. But, it, it, but it is funny. Yeah. So, so I, I just wanted uh, to offer those things and, and, and then share some very good news. So there's a group, um, East Bay Faith in Action in the East Bay here where I live in Oakland that mm-hmm. met with the, 
um, Alameda County Housing Authority uh, director and deputy director uh, a week ago about the rent reimbursements that have been going on through the state from the federal program, mm. you know, because people weren't evicted, but now you have to apply for these reimbursements of back rent. Mm-hmm. So this, so the County of Alameda had about 15,000 applications and has gotten through about 8,000 of them so far. But mm. there's like three or 4,000 that they're having trouble getting back in touch with the people who applied. Mm. Well, you have to apply with your landlord and it's a really complicated process. And if you're about to get evicted and if there, you know, there's just all of these, you might have COVID. I mean, there's all kinds of Mm. things going on that could complicate things. The state of California told Alameda County, tell those people, if you can't get a hold of them, those people are rejected, cut them off, move along. And, and Alameda County did not, they said back to the state, we are not going to do that. We're going to put those people on pause and we're going to hire some people to try and do some more incentive attempts at follow up for these mm-hmm. people, which they didn't have to do that yeah. Yeah. at the state. The state's telling them just reject those people, make them go back to the beginning of the line again. And, and the people here in Oakland at the Alameda County, Housing Authority were really adamant about doing everything they can, and so they've been working with East Bay Faith in Action and a and a legal group that that helps t- that helps tenants here. So there there are good things happening, well, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm, we just have to know, we just have to be aware of them, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for a little good news. I didn't even have to put it in the description today to cheer me up, and <laughs> you just brought me some good news. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you. You have a good night, Bree. Thank you. You too, Amanda. All right. I don't want to just, I don't want to like sideline all of the regulars. So let me bring Red up. How you doing, Red? Red? Hey, there you go. How you doing this evening? I'm cool. Just got in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know me, hard at work, trying to go to school and shit. Always. I mean, normally you're calling from a car. You're out here in the world. It's late. Yeah, it's pretty late. So just going there. But um Oh shit, wait. I wanted to do something actually on Monday. I had to pay my respects. First of all, rest in paradise to the great Bill Russell. Mm. Rest in peace to Pat Carroll. Mm. And rest in peace to Michelle Nicole. Mm-hmm. And rest in peace to my great grandmother who unfortunately passed away like around the same day. Like all of them. Oh, I'm sorry so to last, hear that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sad, but it's like she lived to be 95, so that's mm-hmm. like that's one, one for one. That's a blessing, yeah. But still, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you, thank you. Um, Today's episode really did like, this is like one of the lighter episodes, too, so I'm just like, all right, this is easier to digest, because... <laughs> I love it. Kinda... I thought you guys were going to drive me for being a heavy environmental episode, so I'm glad to hear you say you thought it was light. Because <laughs> I'll be feeling like every time we talk about the environment, I'm depressed. Nah, I mean, I I mean, I talked to like environmentalist activists and it's just too many. It's like so many different branches of them. So I kind of actually do really enjoy those conversations because I do like work side by side with them and have conversations with them all the time being like a cannabis activist. Mm -hmm. So like the only thing that I had an issue with, with the I do have an issue with like the people that are like, well, we're going to really help the earth 
we need to go vegan. And it's like, oh, I don't know how y'all going to do because a lot of them that I talk with, they say things like they they're always kind of like condescending and it's kind of like environmental problems kind of starts to fall into like, well, them are kind of like elite things that people can worry about that like not too many working class people can feel they can relate to. And like, I know because like one of the big things that's going on, like one of the things that's going on like in the South side of Chicago right now is that there are like no grocery stores for like mm-hmm. people to walk to because all of them are like closing up mm-hmm. because of like the crime and shit. But you will have a guy like the C John something, whoever is the CEO of Whole Foods, going in and saying, Well, the problem with urban America is that they just don't eat real fruits and vegetables. They eat mm-hmm. processed stuff, you know, they do this and that. And it's just like, okay, well, go on, bring some of your stores here and share well, like, oh no, 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 that fucks up the profit. And y'all got crime and shit over there. Nope, I'm closing up the stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And y'all spot. So it's like when you talk with, a, like, not you in particular, but, like, when the guy on there is saying, like, well, we need, like, synthetic proteins, like, these little different types of things, but, okay, but that stuff is not, like, regularly accessible to us. So I don't think, like, it's a way, like, we as a society can, like, completely do away with it. I try to, like, talk with some of, like, my vegan activists, and they just be like, when you try, when you're coming and trying to talk to people, you kind of gotta understand like what reason people are like coming from, especially like in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I remember what the early guy was talking about. For some reason, the trucker movement kind of did make a little bit of wave over here, but I guess that might be like a no. Tell me about Midwest. it. Tell me, tell me, I'm wrong. No, I'm not telling you. No, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying like maybe that's just because I guess trucking is kind of like a big industry here. Yeah, I remember, um. My cousin, he's a trucker, and he said him and his guys were even supposedly going to do the ride out to D.C. and whatever, but it just... It didn't happen. Like you said, it didn't... It, it something, something happened, I guess, like when they started, like, freezing their bank accounts and all that shit. They mm-hmm. all got spooked and, mm-hmm. like, eased up and said, all right, we're going to maybe protest a different way. Yeah, I'm not saying it, the, the energy wasn't there, but it, it ended up just not... You know, for whatever reason, because it was thwarted, you know, not happening. But um, so, yeah, I, I hear you on that. It does feel there is this way that these movements can be framed. Any movement can be framed in a way that seems like it's a bourgeois concern. Right. That's that's the issue. And it's hard. I remember once I was when I was had my first podcast way back in the day, me and my best friend Joe and my other best friend Meredith, we were doing a little photo shoot. You know, this, to be clear, this was all like ad hoc. I'm a lawyer. We're doing this on the side for fun. So we went down to uh, Washington Square Park and we're doing a little photo shoot for our promotional materials that we were doing. Our friend Meredith was taking our picture. And at the same time that we were taking these pictures in Washington Square Park, there happened to be a vegan protest. And we had nothing to do with them. They were on one side of the fountain. We were on the other, minding our business, giggling, twirling around, having fun, just goofing off. And, um, one of them started to come for us and like shouting at us. And we're like, we didn't, it's not, it wasn't, it's not like we were like wearing leather jackets and eating hamburgers. We were just there in the summer with t-shirts and shorts, not even wearing animal products, flip-flops, you know what I mean? And they, this guy started yelling at us. Boy. Apparently we were having too much fun, too close to what they were doing in this very busy public park 
I mean, you guys know how Washington Square Park is in every movie, Mary Kate and Ashley. And, and, he, at one, and we were like, okay, and just kind of like easing off. And at one point, he started shouting, like, um, you know, it'd be better if we ate you. And I was like, I mean, okay, that doesn't seem very vegan. and it was it was so aggressive he like was literally death threatening me in the middle of this park for like truly i promise you we didn't say or do anything to these people so like there is that energy that exists not all vegans hashtag sorry um to our friend before with the cow avatar not all vegans obviously but there is that reputation that one has to contend with the the pita the pita vibes (laughs) hit that motherfucker with the and words of Chris Rock from Bring the Pain. But I refuse to believe, like, y'all act like we going to hell for eating meat or some shit. And I refuse to believe on Judgment Day my diet is going to come into question. I mean, look, I like, think it's possible This the same way that, um, we were. Ju- who was the guest that recently was saying that we're going to judge, will history judge us? Oh, God, we just had a guest who had this talking about something that also we all do that maybe history will judge us as being very evil. You mean on here oh. or on... Oh, on Bad Faith. Oh, I just had it. It was... Oh, come on, guy. You you guys know what I'm It was a recent episode. Who did I just talk to? Was it Vijay? No. It was something that we all do. And I was oh. like... Mm. Oh, you you might be talking about the dude who's talking about the, uh, the drugs and stuff. Like... I think he said something to some friend. Oh, no, it was Norm. Right, right, right. It was Norm. It was Norm talking about whether or not we're going to look back and think uh, abortions were like uh, eugenics. That's what it was. Right, right, right. Okay. So, you know, like, I'm open to these kinds of arguments. I'm open to the fact that, like, sometimes things really do go left and you look back and you're like, oh, damn. Like, I think a lot of those, you know, slave owners and stuff, like, thought everyone else is doing it like how bad could it be the bible says i'm allowed i treat my slaves nicely like there's a, we can rationalize the heck out of a whole lot of things so i'm you know, like i'm really open to the idea and there's no doubt that the factory farming is a blight like there's just no moral justification for it it is what yeah. it is but like it's it's so difficult like people are not fully appreciating like i'm a single person who has a flexible schedule and I can barely get myself together to broil some salmon and meal prep that for three days with, with a rice and a rice cooker. And people have families, people have jobs, people, and people don't have resources. They got a grocery. You're telling me I have to go grocery shopping. I got to buy some produce. That's going to go bad. I don't bring, I don't bring produce into the house. The only produce I'll bring into the house are things that last broccolini, sweet potatoes, Sweet potatoes, potatoes, onions. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm not buying. I'm. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not buying tomatoes. I'm not buying anything that I have to eat within like four days. I'm not buying avocados. I'm not doing it. That's just me throwing money down the garbage chute. I'm not doing it. So that's me. The level of planning you have to do to figure out how to use all this stuff in time. All I do. I'm. I'm. A, I'm about to be 37 years old. What I figured out in my life is that if I buy the salmon and cook it the first day and then buy a bunch of broccolini and those little bag salads where all the mixings come in the bag, right. <laughs> then I can eat the bag salad by the eat by date. And that's as, that's as good as I can do in terms of prepping meals in my own home for myself. That's my limit. I know myself. That's my limit. And I don't have anything on my plate, really, compared to the average person. And so to tell people that, like, you can't like to be to be vegan means you have to basically not eat any of the food that's readily accessible to you in your environment. 
you have to learn how to cook all over again from scratch and learn new recipes. It's doable. I cooked a uh, old producer, Ben, his girlfriend is vegan. And I, before he, you know, right after he left the podcast, I had them over for dinner and I made a whole vegan dinner for everybody and it was delicious and good. And it was like no problemo, but like yeah, it was good, new skills. And he's, I'm surprised they had no issues with it because some people are starting getting picky with it. Well, all the vegetables made from a non-GMO farms and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, I ain't got time to go down Dyson and Dyson wow. and stuff like that, especially in these inflated times. Mm-hmm. I think it's like <laughs> vegans rather than being hostile. Like they do wine testing, they do whiskey tasting, have like a vegan tasting fair and like, ex- and like expose all these other options and stuff. And see somebody eating a sandwich in the park and whatever rather than say well how about we just eat you and shit just say, <laughs> well, how about we eat you and see how you like it you like what the fuck <laughs> let me tell you that i wasn't even eating a sandwich we were truly just standing there wearing an all cotton outfit like i, I was like oh, i truly Lord. am trying to figure out what part of this you're upset about right now <laughs> like, I'm he, he was just mad at our joy i think we were just being too joyful while he was trying to do his protest which you know respect but like it's not like, like i like barge into a funeral here sound like somebody missed meat and probably needs to eat it to get some joy back into his life Stop. pause <laughs> <laughs> hey man no because they get on no they get on my nerves they 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 do get on my nerves sometimes over here sometimes and it just be like i just don't want to be one just because i don't want to be miserable like y'all Oh my god. But they're not all miserable. Obviously our calling guest wasn't miserable. And look, I will say Yeah, this. she actually yeah, she actually got me I mean, I told her I just was talking to my girl right now and I'm just like, I'm trying to be like in moderation. I'm trying to have like I don't know about a whole meatless day, like meatless Monday. But I'm trying to do a meatless <laughs> breakfast and everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying something. Yeah, I've definitely had I had a chicken salad earlier today, so I'm already <laughs> off that train and I'm about to have some sa- my my last meal prepped salmon, which I'm completely over. Three days in a row. Spare me. I just made some tacos right now. I cannot. Yeah, I will say, look, I learned some things. I did learn that you can do a lot with a can of chickpeas and some coconut milk. And I love how everything's in the the can things that are shelf stable. You can do like chop up an onion and with some butter. Sorry, I'm still having butter. Butter in the pan. You can use whatever. Okay, so eggs, butter, not giving up. So just so you I'm not, no, eggs are. You can rip eggs out of my cold, dead hands. I will be burning in hell having myself <laughs> some soft-boiled eggs and being like it was worth it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Eggs aren't hurting anybody. It's an unfertilized egg. It's not even an abortion. Let me live. Can I live? I pay so much money for these goddamn eggs. I'm out here paying like a dollar an egg. Let me live. I pay. I've, I've given my pound of flesh. But like, if oh you just pan, if you just chop fun. up an onion. <laughs> I need a chef right now, and it's just like no pasteurized, cage free. I gotta look for all these damn. Supposed yes, I gotta look for all these damn buzzwords on the egg card. All the all stuff. the words. No, at this point, I'm not gonna be honest with you. I just look for the most expensive egg and I buy it. Rather than reading all the labels, I'm like the one. The one that I need is just gonna be the most. I know how it is by now. Let me just let me go ahead. This one's seven dollars and thirty five cents. Let me just go ahead and pick up these eggs because it, it is what it is. But if you throw a little chickpea, a little tomato sauce on top of those sautéed onions with a can of coconut milk, and then at the end throw in like a handful of kale or spinach or whatever green, hearty green you have in the refrigerator and let that sauté down, that's optional. That coconut milk makes everything taste good. It makes everything taste like chicken vindaloo. 
You know, it, it tastes, it tastes yeah. like a sophisticated curry with some like, I think there was like turmeric or something in that recipe too. But it was all stuff that like did not require refrigeration. You know what I mean? Like it will last. And yeah. I love that in a recipe. I don't know how yeah. healthy it is, but I love that I mean, in a recipe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they become, I mean, I mean, I see like so many synthetic proteins, like what George was talking about on the show. And like a lot of those don't require refrigeration and stuff too, but it's still like, just making that turn and i mean yeah i've definitely gotten into like debates with those particular environmentalist activists and just tell them like the message definitely comes off as elitist because we can't just go into our average grocery stores and just like even find some of this stuff i'm not sure like maybe i feel like maybe the east coast probably has it a whole lot better because it's coastal so you guys kind of probably have it but yeah, over here, mm-hmm. I feel like if we have to like grow all of that stuff, mm-hmm. like, like if we're gonna do, if we're gonna switch to this plant based stuff, then we're gonna have to go back into that. We're gonna have to up the agricultural game. And as a cannabis activist, just so y'all know, y'all think the meat, y'all think like the uh, factory meat uh, business is like on some shit. These motherfuckers will be junking these plants up with a whole bunch of shit. That's why everybody weed ain't that good. <laughs> <laughs> so trust me, it, it it'll be some shit in that shit too. People, I mean, well, I mean, this shouldn't be that much on news. People grow like bamboo and soy like unethically too, and just pump it up with so much shit. That at a point, yeah, you pretty everything that was healthy about it, you pretty much just ruined it. Yeah, the soy stuff really bothers me. So it's in everything, and it again, this is just my vanity, but I know it's in everything because if I eat it, I break out. <laughs> oh, um, man. So I, I, I do get I, worried about I, I that fear, aspect of the vegan shit. I'm having a fear for soy too. Like she buys some soy milk, and I just be like, ain't this shit like crazy? But in all in all of that, I do feel like everything should be like done in a moderation because I think mm-hmm. even George said in the show, there's bacteria in all food, so don't think like you're just such this pure eater just because mm-hmm. you're vegan. And, like, everything that you make, we're all burning something. And when we burn something, it's probably going to cause some type of hit or harm to the environment. So, yeah, I mean, look, but I don't, I mean, we can't obscure the real, the, the scale of these things. I mean, I, I took it this environmental law class in, in law school. And when you learn about how the, the EPA, the EPA, I'm sorry, this is like 12, 15 years ago. So apologies if I mean something this wrong. But my recollection is that, Basically, the EPA can only regulate, like, runoff from these uh, CAFOs. What does that stand for? And something animal feeding organization. These huge, horrible mass lots where they're manufacturing all this meat, where they're torturing all these animals. And there's this awful runoff, right, because they're pumping the animals up with antibiotics. And all of the, you know, defecation is coming out and just running all over the place. And the EPA can only regulate point sources. So unless it's like in a tunnel or funnels into a ditch and like a a collection of the stuff, then it can't be regulated. So they go, they go out of their way to make sure there's no like divots in the land or anything that can be construed as a point source. And then they basically, these things in the runoff from these farms and all of the weird hyper nitrogenated chemicals and all of this that does crazy things for the vegetable growth around it. It's just out there. It's just out there in the world. Antibiotics, all of this stuff is just out there in the world and just completely unregulated. 
besides which the point that George was making about how much grain and vegetable has to be grown to make, to sustain the cow, it's just not efficient. You lose like 80%, I don't know, I'm making up numbers, but you lose like a huge substantial part of the calories every time you go from like the animal to the, you know, the plant to the animal to the animal that eats that animal and on and on down the food chain. It's inefficient. You lose the energy. So if we all just ate the original plant, then it would go a lot farther and feed a lot more people. So there are all these inefficiencies built into the system. Also, so much of the you know growth that we do is for corn oil and stuff that's put in all these processed foods and isn't growing to farm things that are actually good for us. And we're subsidizing that. And so people are in these food deserts and they're not having access to affordable, healthy food because we're subsidizing corn oil and soybean oil and all of this synthetic crap. So, I mean, it is a real problem. Right. But like the point, right. and I mean, that was like kind of the point that I'm trying to make. Like if we go into veganism, then like all the burning that we would probably, that we would probably make up for, that we was probably doing with like a meat factory or whatever, is all just going to get replaced with like all the burning and energy use we're going to have to use to like expand the agriculture to actually properly feed and expand like not even actual growing vegetables, but to make like synthetic proteins or whatever. No, but this is this is the the it's the opposite point they read. the The point is that we are already growing. Like I'm making up all of these numbers are made up, okay? But just for the sake of argument, no, no, you got to grow like saying. a thousand acres of plant to feed a hundred cows, so that a thousand of us could eat eat a burger, right? But if you just right. took that a thousand acres of plant, that would feed. 10,000 people if you just grew plants. So it's the same amount of farming and land and resources, but could be dedicated to different things. And that could just directly feed people instead of trying to feed animals, then feed people. And then, and so you, there is, there are huge environmental savings, not even to mention the methane and the chemicals and the runoff and all of the things from the, and the torture obviously, and the welfare of the animals. So like it, it is something that needs to happen. It has to happen. Right, um, like I'm right. I'm not saying like anything needs to get done away completely. Like everything can get done so in a in a moderation. Like even if something like like even if something to towards like agricultural would like grow, people get mad at like you know the farmers. Like oh, you guys need to clean your act up. And you know there's like so much stuff that we can like. There's like other areas where it's like we can like tone it down on. We can definitely if anything we could probably do away with. Let's do away with the war. It's just, yeah. That's definitely harmful for the environment. Mm-hmm. There's like other elements that we can like turn down on that'll probably be easier approach to, but that can go into a whole political discussion that's too heavy for right now. But no, I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying, and I didn't, I wasn't saying like you know, oh, their way of life is just gonna be just as bad mm-hmm. and whatever. But too much of anything can be bad for the planet too, but. That's about it. That's my shit on top. But oh yeah, shit. Wait, wait. Because oh, because the uh, last caller kind of reminded me about this. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know that much. So I don't really know that much about us uh, about uh, Star Trek. So I wanted to ask you this, like, because I know there's like a bunch of shows and a bunch of movies. What's good? What's bad? Where do I start? <laughs> Where do I go? Because I used to watch it when I was like a kid. I used to watch when I was like a kid when it was just something my grandma would have whenever something like my grandparents and my aunties had on in the background. Mm-hmm. But it was always the really old one. So Yeah. So 
I would nerd out on me if you need me. I, I would recommend um, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. I think I try to start people on Deep Space Nine, but I've been told repeatedly that it's better to start people on Next Generation. I think this. I think you can start Deep Space Nine from the beginning, and it's compelling. But other people feel differently, so I have to accept that. The reality is that about the first three seasons of both are less than ideal. I mean, they're. I think they're good, but they are slow, especially for a contemporary viewer who's used to a much more faster pace of television. So keep that in mind. I just think that you should persevere and push through. Some people say go ahead and start in season three. I think that's a tall order because so much of what makes Star Trek great is the development of the interpersonal relationships, and there's so many episodes that aren't about plot. It's about coming to know the characters, and then when something goes down, it really packs a punch. But, you know, there, it's just a commitment. So I grew up with Next Generation because I'm an 80s baby, and then – Deep Space Nine came out immediately after that, and I think Deep Space Nine is the best of all of the series. So that is what my recommendation would be to you, Red. So you have to check back in with us and see how, and let us know how your introduction to Trek is. Going. Uh, nah, yeah, I get into. Trust me, I, trust me. I, I'm a, I'm kind of saying that mythic, but like I'm one of, I'm with one of those black families that was just like that's white people shit, and we really don't watch that. <laughs> so, Star Trek is come I, on now, Red. I, I gotta stop I, you. I, I, no, Star no, Trek no, is that's not, no, that's not me. That's not I'm okay. Saying, that's not me. That was okay. that's the that's the older that's the older generation. I'm the people that's just like Elvis stole Elvis stole every damn thing for us. <laughs> Never seen any black people on these show. If there isn't like there's not at least three black people on the show when I watching it, it, it was that stuff. But that's so, why Star I mean, Trek has always been. Black people have always loved Star Trek. When I go to a convention, it's nothing but groups of black people. We all take pictures with each other. We're all dressed up as Aurora. Like we're all dressed up as Klingons and stuff. Because there was more representation on Star Trek. I mean, when Uhura, when Nichelle Nichols died, you know, everyone's been talking about the story again about how Mar- she was going to quit the show. And Martin Luther King called her up and said, please don't because it's so meaningful to have you're like the only black woman on TV that's not playing a maid. And that's why my mom watched it as a kid. And my grandfather, who was like a Nation of Islam kind of a radical, liked it and liked to watch the show. And he called my mom Bones, which was the doctor's name because she was very skinny. But, you know, that... And why we watched it as a family growing up when I was a kid. Both my parents loved Star Trek. Both my two whole black parents <laughs> loved Star Trek. And that's how my brother became a fanatic and we became a Star Trek family. So, I mean, I personally think that Star Trek, I mean, Star Trek, Star Trek attracts a more diverse audience than I think a lot of other kinds of sci-fi. Because it has always been very explicitly about you know, addressing the social ills at the time. They have episodes that are very shallow analogies about race. I mean, it's very obvious what they're doing. They yeah. had they had a Russian on the bridge and a Japanese guy on the bridge at a time, you know, in the late 60s when that was a very controversial proposition. And obviously, the horror holding it down in the comms department. Yeah, right. No, but no, I wasn't saying like that's my view on it. Like that was like people. No, that was the shit I was told as a kid. If I ever expressed like any remote little interest and stuff, because I'm one of those weird people. Like now that I'm trying, now that I like, especially amongst like a group of friends, I'm like that weirdo that never saw any Star Wars. Never saw any Star Trek. Oh yeah, that's why people shit. No, no, (laughs) Star Wars. Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, my uncle will probably have. 
my girlfriends also will probably have something to say about that. But well, yeah. well, there's Lando. You know, <laughs> but, whatever they they gave us Lando. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I, Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter. I, I ain't <laughs> never seen none of that shit. So I and. I, and my girlfriend, like I said, my girlfriend's uncle, he, he's such a huge Star Wars fan. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I got to, if I'm going to even remotely sit down and talk to this dude, I got to sit down and start watching something. And I watched a little bit of it, and we kind of stopped, like, once it started getting into the Disney stuff. I'm debating if I'm going to go back to it or not. But I, I get the phenomenon. But Star Trek did kind of interest me because I was like, okay, wait. My grandma will play this, but nobody else in my family is rocking with this for whatever reason. Yeah, well, and, let us know. Let us know how it goes, Red. And okay, you said next generation. I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it for real. Like, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I don't want to start just C three. I want to watch the whole thing, get the whole experience. Okay, you well, said next generation and in D Space Nine. In Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I'm trying to catch up on so much American TV right now that I've just been robbed as a child. I just finished Friends, finishing The Office, and it's just like. All right, okay, I so you've something. done some series. You you're a committed person who will go through the whole thing. So I expect to hear back from you not 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 too long. Okay, Red, be be sure to check it. Oh, I'm gonna go okay, ahead and get wait, a couple wait. more callers oh, yeah. in here before I wrap. Yeah, for sure. All right, okay. keep the faith. Keep the faith, Red. Thank you for calling in. We've got no the one and only Marks in the chat. Is it Harpo Marks? <laughs> Is it Groucho Marks? Uh, unmute yourself and hit me with what's on your mind really quickly if you're still with us, Marks. Going once, going twice. All right. Hello? Oh, you got me? Right under the buzzer, Marks. What's on your mind? Dang. What's yeah, it's a silly name. I, 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 uh, it's a reference to Carl. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let's see. Um, I, I don't want to go too much in the history there. Uh, but um, so I want to say uh, really enjoyed the episode. Um, like I was saying in the, in the chat before, it was like something where I felt like screaming at the guests, but it was like good screaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like, oh, this clarifies what I think because mm-hmm. how I disagree with, with what's being presented here. Um, did want to, so, so my background is in, um, uh, like, uh, molecular biology, um, uh, and I kind of, um, which is something um, I, I found kind of interesting in a little bit of your biography that I've read. The, the, the history of science was something you studied. Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't come up too much in the content of yours that I've like observed. Um, but um, just wanted to, to to shoot out a little reference when he was talking when when your guest was talking about um, you know equilibriums changing to a different equilibrium. It was like oh that's a punctuated equilibrium there. <laughs> it's like a little bit of Gould <laughs> coming up. Um, uh, uh, Harvard history Psi man himself, the OG. Oh, yep. Um, and I guess the other, um, I don't know. So I, I, I come from Humboldt County and it's a very like, this is where like all the, uh, like Berkeley hippies went to die. Um, mm. uh, and it, it, it just struck me like this guy is like such a like humble type character because <laughs> it's just British like, version? Yeah, and it's just like it's it's not like I like super disagree with them or anything, but it feels like man, the eighties really whipped their ass. <laughs> like it's it's almost it's they're so close to like libertarianism with like just the spin, you know? It's just this well, obsession so? with Well, it's just this obsession with getting everything down to an individual level, I think. Like um 
like this whole I want to um do individual based decision making i I don't want there to be big states um even though you know big states are the only like you know large scale socialism has actually worked i mean if we're really being honest <laughs> Wait, when um, did he when did he i don't know that I remember him saying well i mean his, his, not his, only his, big states. Well, well, his position on um, uh, participatory bud- budgeting is like a big thing. And I, I'm not saying it's like a terrible thing, but it is a little bit of a, you know, quirky, like has only worked in a few places kind of solution <laughs> for a problem as big as like, you know, what, what we're facing, I guess, is kind of what I'm saying. It, it reminds me a lot of how, you know, libertarians are obsessed with the crypto is like this, like, you know, solution when it's really just this. I don't know, quirky little like technology. Really, it's not. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's that that's my read. <laughs> maybe 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 that's a little bit of a an analogy I should like like have hammered out before I got jumped in. <laughs> no, not at all. Look, can't can't be faulted for me jumping around the queue. I'm glad to hear from you, Mark. You look like a new a new face. In the queue. Yeah. Should should I have like my actual name on here as well? Is, is it off? Because again, it's just like a nickname I put picked for Twitter. No, not at all. People, a lot of people. Okay. Like, didn't yeah. I didn't I didn't that I didn't know if that put people off. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> no, I really appreciate the the the, the talk, Bree. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for calling in. Mm-hmm. All right, Lazarus, what's on your mind? Lazarus, can you unmute yourself? All right. How's that? There you go. What's on your mind? Do you have any questions or thoughts about the episode or anything else? Yeah, a couple thoughts, actually. Um, I'll try not to take up too much time. Uh, but first of all, you know, credit to you, because as Sarah was saying, like, there's not a lot of non-vegans who are willing to bring up this type of conversation, which I am. I will come out as a vegan on the, <laughs> on the get-go. Um, so I guess it's just a couple things. I'm just going to, like jot them out because I know you can like pick points out of large spiels. It'll be a small spiel. But the first one is just that I feel like with most of your episodes about the environment, there definitely comes that certain helpless feeling and feeling so small and like Mm -hmm. a large, you know, world we have and so many problems. But this is something where I feel like there is something that individuals can do. Um, And so it's interesting to me, your point as well as red and other people talking about, you know, the small inconveniences we might have to go through in order Mm -hmm. to maybe change our diet. And I I don't think that it's quite as impossible as people make it seem to be. In fact, um, the point that George Monbiot was making was that there are actually technologies out there that are very close to market. And we've already seen some like fake synthetic meats and synthetic eggs that come pretty close to like the, protein and you know the nutritional qualities but also the taste of these animal products and um, I don't know it's interesting to me how like we're presenting it as this huge thing that we're never going to be able to overcome when the reality is 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 that technology is here already and I don't understand like the front that we're putting on top of that Um, really quick also I just want to mention because this is something that was mentioned in a YouTube comment I think of one of yours someone was talking about how the diseases that are coming about whether it be bird flu or swine flu or even potentially where COVID came from was about our treatment of animals, mm-hmm. and like the proximity of these animals. So I think that's something that we need to sort of keep in mind. Um, if the fact that we cannot live on a meat consuming planet isn't enough, like ecologically speaking, there's also like these diseases. Um, yeah, and there's one sure. last point I want to make, and then you can either pick something from that or just 
send me on my way. But um, I think it's interesting when we talk about, you know, animal consumption is our relationship or the mechanism of power and how like how we treat creatures on this planet who we don't see. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we've come become really disconnected between like, what is beef? You know, beef is a cow, you know, what is steak or what is, you know, um, like we don't say that it's a baby cow you're eating or we don't say it's a deer you're eating. We, we kind of have a disconnect from where our food is coming from. Um, and I think that's like a problem that we have in our culture in general. Like we send politicians to Washington and we expect them to sort of remember what's out of sight, you know, and to mm -hmm. act according to, you know, the, um, to the wishes of the voters who voted them there and then they go with the flow and we ask them to not go with the flow and to buck the system and so i think that like as individuals though we are not responsible for the large um the large catastrophes that are occurring i think that there are things we can do as individuals even if it's only ideologically speaking or symbolically speaking um to buck the system ourselves and to stand up and say okay i'm not going to participate in this process that is causing uh, the destruction of the environment that's causing animals to be tortured before being killed so that i can consume them so anyways those are the kind of thoughts i had and i appreciate you uh, giving me the platform to speak my piece yeah i think that's right i think that the thank you first of all for for calling in but the the point about how ultimately how we're treating these animals comes back and hurts us. And even if you don't give a crap about them, even if it's only self-interestedly, the point someone made about the avian flu, which I frankly had, wasn't aware of until I was Googling while they were talking, you know, it's, it's a real one. And, you know, depending on what you think the origin of <laughs> COVID-19 is, a lot of this stuff has to do with, uh, you know, the, the transmission, the jumps are often having to do with the conditions around uh, animal slaughter and not to overly attach too much morality to the animal slaughter that's happening on a more individualized basis as opposed to in these great big farming projects. But there are consequences to this kind of a thing. And so point well made, and I appreciate you calling in, Lazarus. Sure, no problem. All right. Cut back to the front. BK, you've been very patient. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, thanks so much for taking my call. And um, I I've been a binge watching or and listening to your podcast for ever since you were uh on the katie halper show and uh every episode is super amazing i'm super grateful i found you um love me think, some katie uh, helps <laughs> um but yeah on the um episode today uh you mentioned that culture wars are being used to get us to not pay attention to the most important issues mm -hmm. um like climate change and um ever since you said a couple weeks ago that you're worried about the shit show that's coming with politicians being asked, you know, what a woman is. Um, like, I, I obviously don't care, like, what happens to corporate Democrats, but I'm, like, terrified that trans people are going to be, like, the new Susan Sarandon. Mm. Um, so that's kind of why I've been thinking a lot about, uh, like, this problem. Um, and uh, so, yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, what do you think about politicians responding with saying, you know, like, well, I'm a woman or, well, I know that I'm not a woman. Um, well, well, I, first we're presuming we're talking about cis politicians, I presume, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know, man. 
I don't I don't know. I don't know about anything anymore. I look at the lineup. I look at the I was looking at the hill, you know, I went on the website today and I was like, every single day there's a some kind of segment about some kind of trans issue wasn't there. Yeah, and it feels like they're specifically looking for them, like going out to family court to find you know what I mean? Like Yeah. It it and it's cause it drives clicks. clicks. Yeah. You know? And the media is going to do that. Like, you know, profit, capitalism is going to drive them. They're going to do that. Even if they feel bad about it, even if they don't really want to do it, you see what happens. They, they do it. And I don't. <laughs> you think your, co- your, your co-hosts feel bad about it? Yeah, I think everybody, I mean, the, the producers feel bad. I mean, nobody wants to do it. <laughs> Because I saw the segment about, you know, the, you weren't on it, but uh, uh, how a family court judge gave full legal or whatever rights to the dad who was respecting the gender journey of the child. Mm-hmm. I and, didn't watch uh, the segment. I saw it in the the notes, the production notes the night before. But yeah, go ahead. Well, but yeah, yeah I guess you, you wouldn't have even really had to see it to just know that, like, it, it's not... It's not super newsworthy if it's just about one individual family and we don't know anything about what was going on in the internal thoughts of, like, why the judge decided the way the judge did. Right. Um, so it was just, like, the whole segment was was so contentless, and it was just, like, haven't trans people gone too far? Yeah. Um, and, and it feels really radicalizing. Like, it does look like it's, it's radicalizing people against trans people. Um, yep. I mean, I'm not... I didn't call to be like, fuck the hill, but I, I am just like, what do we, what do we do? You know? Cause it does feel like, like, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not a scholar of first amendment canon or whatever, but I do feel like the status quo <laughs> of <laughs> like, you have to sell cakes to gay people, but the people you're fans with can't be on Twitter is already like a really horrible status quo. Wait, what do you mean like, by that? Like, like just from like I hang out with a lot of people that didn't go to college, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that from their perspective, uh, it feels like protections are being made for some people to be more free, but mm. the people that you like, we don't care about their freedoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that like if you're steeped in the in first amendment or whatever you're like oh but gay cakes has nothing to do with that or you know but if you don't know about any of that if you're just a casual consumer of what's going on in politics then it does look like gay people are winning the oppression olympics um and trans people are are causing the legal system to do all kinds of insane things and people are losing their kids over it yeah, I um it's a real it feels I got to say it feels a little like the part of the problem is so much of this stuff is undercooked and they're not allowed to have things cook to completion anymore in private the way you did before social media. What do I mean about that? Mm-hmm. All this stuff that we're talking about, so much of it is stuff that does not have real in-group consensus around it. I can speak more authoritatively about this in the racial context, but there's a way that 
some of this language jumped the shark. You know, all of the timeliness is white supremacy discourse, you know, to be, you know, to be on time is to be, to ha- you know, to require people to be on time is to do a white hegemony. Like, I, I, I do understand the argument, and I am, I would like to have conversations. I mean, COVID has really unpacked a lot of things we thought were just professional conduct and good, like having to come into the office and all of this stuff. And I think that's a good thing. And I do think that we fetishize timeliness over like content and your ability to do your job in, in ways that is like stupid. I, I, but like tying it to race in these ways that it seemed like really overly simplistic and frankly insulting to one group or another, I don't think is especially constructive. So ideas like this come out of like half baked out of some academic context are taken to be like the way the world is and it makes everybody freaked out. And it feels like that's a little bit what's going on in the trans community because every time we do an episode, you know, there's a diversity of issues of trans callers who say, well, I don't know about this and I feel this way about this and I hadn't heard about this term, but, you know, I like this, but not that. And in my friend group, we feel different ways about it. And, but that doesn't matter. If one person has an opinion or if there's some niche opinion somewhere because of the internet and because people want to put all their opinions on TikTok, the libs of TikTok can pull it out and show it to the world. And then we're in a position of either having to defend it because we think it's being attacked in bad faith out of transphobia or, or not defending it and feeling like you're throwing trans people under the bus. Cause it's never just about the one incident. It's not about whether yeah. I think this particular blue haired person is acting crazy or whether I think, <laughs> you know, even this Beyonce segment we did today about the lyric change, you know, it's, you know, the way it's framed up as, Beyonce demands that, I'm sorry, Monica Lewinsky demands Beyonce change the lyric. Well, first of all, she didn't do that. She, you know, she's just raising the obvious hypocrisy or, you know, that of like, okay, like we're doing lyric changes now because you also were pretty disrespectful to me. And does that matter too? But of course it's not about that. It's not about Monica Lewinsky, who was a human being who, you know, maybe, made, you know, was whatever you want to say, how much agency you want to give her is on you, but either made a mistake or was seduced into a relationship with a much older man and the most powerful man in the world when she was 21 years old and has subsequently been a public joke for the last 30 years. You know, whether or not you have compassion for her and whether or not you think, you know, these moments should cause us to rethink how we've treated her all this time now that we're in a different political space, but we're apologizing for saying things like spaz. Like, that's the conversation. That should be, that's a legitimate conversation to have, but that's not how it's framed up. And it, it's actually a referendum on how liberals think that WAP is okay, but they don't <laughs> think that saying spaz is okay. WAP is for children. They want your children to know about WAP. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm so tired. Like, yeah. I'm not tired in a laboring in the fields way. I'm just tired in a, I can't, like this Alex Jones thing. I don't want to know. I don't give a shit. I, I'm so exhausted of having to think about stupid things. It's so stupid. And I don't know how to yeah. respond. At, the, at this point with this trans stuff, I, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. You can't ignore it. I mean, you can, but it's going to happen with or without you. You know, Esperanza's point about, like, wanting to refocus it on working class trans issues, like, it's great. But trans people never get to be a part of the conversation. And I got to tell you, 
sometimes when you're trying to source people to come on, I think to myself, this person is going to shoot themselves in the foot. This person is not, mm-hmm. it's not going to be re- well received. They're not going to sit there and say, hi, I'm a baker. I'm an accountant. I'm a postal worker. I'm a whatever. And I also happen to be trans and all I want is, equity you know no don't say equity they hate the word equity all i want is equality <laughs> right. and to live my life and to be free to have my independence and my individuality and not to have that infringed upon by the state no you're gonna get someone whoever it is is gonna i'm sorry be triggered by whatever transphobic thing that comes down the transom like it is transphobic i'm not saying you shouldn't be triggered but they're gonna react and it's gonna become a conversation about like the smallest part of their experience. It just is the most controversial and the least material part of their existence. And it's not, it doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like anything helps. I think there is a world where there's like this really like that. Um, the British labor guy who's been all over TV about the, about the transit strikes. You know, sometimes you find these people who just manage to talk in a way that is like so unimpeachable that you can be a full blown Marxist and everyone still roots for you on in mainstream TV land. I want, I want our trans hero. Like who who is that? Who is going to be the trans version of that guy? You know, because that person needs to be out here fighting the good fight out in these streets. Cause I don't know what else, like apart from literally confronting people with the humanity of the folks that they are making all these dumb as hell segments about, I don't know what to do about it. I'm, I'm, I'm defeated. I'm defeated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Like, like I guess I would hope that um, a politician could just have really good policy ideas that they're espousing and and explaining, so that if a reporter is like, "What about trans people trying to change the subject?" It would just be like, like a really good policy idea that's good enough to, you know, Medicare all plus, like things mm-hmm. that people actually care about. If you're doing that, then maybe people won't be so easily distracted by people that they find gross. Um, yeah, we had a, um, we had the, uh, what's her face? Uh, the politician who's running against uh, Henry Cuellar in Texas, the re- Republican. She was on the show. I don't know if they saved it for the weekend or what. I haven't seen the clip out either, but I, we interviewed her and we were ostensibly interviewing her about identity politics um, and how the left is hypocritical about identity politics because some people were like, no, no, that's what it was. The segment was about uh, how about half of Latinos are now saying they're going to vote for a Republican and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And so she opens a segment saying, well, yes, the Democrats haven't served Latino voters and I'm a proud Latina and my family didn't take any handouts and I'm third generation and da, da, da. So I was like, okay, great. I also don't like Henry Cuellar. I don't really have a dog in the fight of your particular race. I'm not mad at you. You know, like I'm not, I really wasn't trying to come for her, but I was like, well, help me understand this because you're saying that identity politics is stupid and wrong. And it doesn't matter what identity you are, but also you just spent the first five minutes of the segment talking about how you're a proud Latina. And isn't it amazing that Latinos are now voting for Republicans? Like if it doesn't matter, why are you even talking about it? Yeah. And there's this, there's this like, whoa, well, I don't know. And then she's like, well, Democrats are feeling in all of these ways. And I was like, totally like Democrats haven't served Latino voters. 
Totally. I agree. What's your plan? What's your plan? You just said all these things that are going wrong. What is your plan? What policies do you support? What would you, I was like at that, would you vote for this veterans bill that at the time Republicans were voting down? And it was like filibuster, nothingness. And it's like, they get away with that, right? Because nobody ever asked yeah. them. Liberals don't ask them specifics about the policies because they don't care about any policies. And they know that the Democrats also don't support the kind of policies that would make them look bad. That, 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 would, that, would, that could really nail a politician like this young woman. Um, and, and it sucks. So I, I hear the people in the chat like it is about like having these material things. But even in the left space, like we're, we, it seems like, are, are feeling defeated about even bringing up Medicare for all half the time. Like, I bring up Bernie and Medicare for All and shit on the show, and everybody rolls their eyes at me. And it's like, I'm sorry these things didn't stop mattering. It, I feel yeah. like 2020 was literally memory hold. I feel like everyone's pretending like we weren't in a radically different political mind frame two years ago. But yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, well, uh, like when, when Yang announced years ago, I was at my working class job and. I've like faced homelessness here and there in my life and stuff and that I was just so fucking stoked at the idea of a thousand dollars a month, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I felt like every, I I just felt like it would be so easy to talk everyone at work into it. And like I did, you know, it was like 30 other people that at first, a lot of them were conservative. So at first they're like, but they'd spend it on drugs first. And just like in five minute conversations, it was just like, yeah, but this would help all of us. And like, there was, like identity politics didn't enter into that conversation. Right. And I think about like, uh, I just want to propose this idea and I'll get off. Uh, like I've been thinking about how, like after the Bernie Madoff thing, there were a bunch of people that got out and they were winners Mm -hmm. that had like millions of dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like people were put together and to go claw back that money. And it was successful because like huge amounts of money are actually like pretty readily traceable. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been thinking like what if someone ran on all this money that's been taken to like because I just know so many people who lost their houses in 08 since then Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to claw it back from BlackRock and uh, all of these basically like fraudulent like monopolies and fully house everyone Um, yep like is that something? No, that, like, you're right. That's bigger, like something bigger than Medicare for all, right? Because uh, honestly, yeah. it's just not big enough. Like the yeah. people that I know who, like, they lost their full time because of Obamacare, and then also lost their health insurance, yeah. and like, were also underwater in their house. Like, Medicare for all is—it's not like big enough to hit their ears to make them remember to vote that day. It needs to be something kind of huge. I've been thinking, but. I think that's entirely right. And I think that your instinct to design the policies so that the enemy is baked in is also correct. And I've been making this argument about reparations, by the way, that it's not enough to say do reparations. What you should do is say these are the people that profited from slavery. These are the institutions that continue to exist. It's like a continuous line. These people have existed. Edna has existed. They ensured life right. and make it more of a tort action. So people don't feel like, oh, I'm some random white person who immigrated here in 1890. It's not my fault. No, you're not yeah. the one that's having to pay for it. These corporations are. And similarly, you know, 
I don't think it was no accident that Hillary bristled and said, Can you bring, we'll bring it up the bank's cure racism. Like that was, that was Bernie's <laughs> excellent line of attack in 2016 to try to say, we're still going to prosecute these assholes that got away with it under Obama in 2008. We're still going to come after these assholes because you didn't magically get your wealth back just because the country moved on from the biggest recession since the depression. Yeah. You know, and, we, we are all still traumatized from that. Part of the thing that doesn't get brought up in these student debt conversations is how millennials were just fucking devastated by the recession happening like while we were in college or in the years right after we got out of college. Like so many of us, it happened like right when we entered the job market. Yeah. And, you know, our parents were suffering from that right when we entered the job market. You know, parents who might have been able to take on some of that student debt were suddenly underwater on their homes. Like that, all of that was happening at once. And like, nobody fucking talks about it. And they act like everyone was sitting around, like choosing choices, choosing choices. Like we're not in a fucking jail, <laughs> a systemic fucking jail right now. And so I do think that, I, th- I do think that, um, you know, that, that particular kind of policy design that really goes, that, that defines the enemy in the objective is and Medicare for all, by the way, can be more of that. There can be more of a focus on how much you know money the private profit is sucking out and how much savings comes from the private profit. Even Bernie, I mean, he talked about it when he explained what Medicare for all was and where the savings came from, but it was only discussed as like uh, explaining how to pay for it, kind of a thing. It wasn't discussed as kind of this retribu- retributive um, justice kind of piece of it, and like holding people accountable piece of it. Uh, so I think your instinct is right. I shouldn't be defeated. I'm not defeated. I'm sorry. I'm just having well, a moment. Uh, no, yeah. And also, I, I, uh, I, I play online poker for profit. And uh, mm-hmm. it's ex- it's incredibly common for recreational poker players to be like, is this rigged? Like when they're losing. Um, mm. And even though they're wrong about like online poker being, I mean, there is some cheating, but uh, people have like a an, an emotional sense that things are rigged. Mm-hmm. And uh like, I don't know anything about Alex Jones, but I do think that people like him because he, he's just screaming that it's rigged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And um, if someone said it's rigged and here's how to unring it, mm-hmm. like, then we could sidestep the identity politics and actually get a bunch of people who have never voted to vote, um, which is an easier way to win than, you know, getting people who vote one way already. But uh yeah. I mean, this is the thing, like, this is why I come into this place where it's like, is it productive to even be on the Hill? Because I can't, you know, as long as I'm there, I can't just deflect into, well, I'd rather talk about healthcare. You got to talk about the segments that you're being paid to be there and talk about, you know? And yeah. are, is, it, is this helping is the question. And, you know, I don't know. I think you're, I, I, I'm happy you're there. I wouldn't watch it if you weren't there. But, I mean, if if you had been there on that segment where um, it was like, oh, my God, the trans agenda is, has infected family court, I think you would have just been like, how has the trans agenda affected family? Like, you would have asked a question that would have made it seem not so. But that's, this is the problem. Like, okay, I know nothing about that case. I saw it on the, on the like, the call sheet thing. And I know nothing about the case. I don't know. Look, is it possible? Is it possible for a parent to be um, too quick and for for um, mental health practitioners to be too quick to advise interventions 
like yeah. chemical interventions for a child. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, it's of course possible. It's yeah. of course. So I don't want to be. This is this is the trick. They this is that, how they set you up. The, that wasn't they, they, on the thing at all. But, but, yeah. but they they get you to have to commit to a position that you don't really want to commit to, but you do want to defend the broader principle. Do you know what I mean? So like even this yeah. WAP thing, I'm not. I don't. You know, I'm not like I'm an old. I'm a, I'm an old. 37 year old, I'm not listening to nobody's WAP. You know what I mean? I'm sitting here listening to Stevie Wonder and minding my own business. You know, this isn't even my fight. But like, they seduce <laughs> you into, they, they say such stupid stuff that they seduce you into taking a stand as the WAP defender. Now I'm going to lose my, all my social capital because I, I want to defend some wet ass pussy song. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this is, that's the trap. And it's the same with some of the, like, of course, there is, a, it, there are overreaches all over the place. And it is complete, even though the overwhelming, you know, just salt of the world is that trans people don't get the medical interventions that they need and the, and the support that they need from their families. Of course, it can be the case that people can be conscious of that and then go too far in the other direction. So are you going to trap me into saying, like making a definitive claim about how this family court got it wrong when I don't know any of the facts? And alternatively, am I going to now spend an hour of my evening researching what happened in some random fucking family court case and God knows where? Yeah, exactly. So, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it sucks your energy out of you to be able yeah. to be knowledgeable about all of these things and to like really know what position you even need. You'd have to devote a, a whole day to it. And that's why I'm spending all of this energy on this shit. And it's like, this is not energy that's being spent on a podcast. Honestly, even sometimes two bad fates a week. If I had my druthers, I would spend a week truly becoming informed on the one guest for the one topic in the one episode. And in, yeah. in, in a time and earlier in bad faith where I was not doing the hill and was not doing Colin and it was literally the only thing I was doing, I, I was informed in those ways. And I did give a lot more thought to what I wanted to talk about, what these episodes were going to be about, what was going on. You know, I, I have no idea what's going on with this bill. I got to be honest. I'm recording an episode about it tomorrow. So some point between now and 11 a.m., I have to figure it out. <laughs> But like I don't, I don't have the bandwidth for that because I'm thinking about WAP. <laughs> so you know that's that's my that's a me problem, not a you problem. I don't mean to burn me with all of that. But that's part of the trick. They suck us in, and even though I know it's happening, it's so hard to resist, especially when you're in a job where you have to, you know, the job is to have conversations about all these topics. No, yeah, I remember back in like. Oh six, someone smugly being like, "Oh well, you know this is, well, it was probably yeah, it was oh six. Like, oh, you know, Bush is only like still bringing this up to get like the gay marriage thing was just like a constant thing. Like, oh, you know, Republicans are just using it. Like, okay, yeah, but I'm still for same sex marriage. Like, like even though I'm being forced to, yeah. Like, obviously, I'd rather talk about Iraq. Like, it was oh four, right? Yeah. Uh, during like the carry." but um yeah yeah i guess yeah i hear you look i'm sorry thank you for letting me vent a little i'm about to hit the hay and figure out um what's going on in the hill no yeah thank you for listening to my thoughts because like someone else said earlier i don't have too many people that want to hear about the discourse well that's why we're all nutcases here together to talk about the discourse because we're broken and can't be helped. No, because we care and we're trying. And I appreciate all of you. Thank you, as always, for being here, 
for going into um, these wee midnight hours with me and helping me to work through this stuff because I'm genuinely, it's a work in progress. I'm figuring it out. We're all figuring out together and we're going to get there. And I'm so appreciative of you. And so I don't have to feel isolated and alone. Let's go out on a bop. I'll see you guys next week. Right? It's Thursday. Oh, thank the Lord. I'll see you guys on Monday. Take care of yourselves and keep the faith. Beat it up, baby, catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this cookie right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I want to ride. I do a giggle. I'm kind of wild. Look at my mouth. Look at my thighs. It's wet as wet. Come take a dive. Sign me up like I'm surprised. Let's role play. I wear disguise. I want you to park that Big Mac truck right in this little garage. Make me dream. Make it stream. I don't public. Make the scene. I don't cook. I don't clean, but let Aye. me tell you, I got Aye. this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, drip down the side of me. Quick yeah. jump out for you, let it get inside of me. I tell them where to put it, never tell them where I'm about to be. I run down on them before I have a night. Running me, talk your style, bite your lip. Ask for a call while you ride that dick. Why you really ride. ain't never got him flying for a thing. He already made his mind up for he came. Now get your boots, hang your coat, put this wet and cushy. He bought a phone just for pictures of this wet and cushy. Pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet and cushy. Now make it rain if you want to see. Remember how Kendall Jenner was in this video? That was so random. Sorry, Handcuffs, leashes, switch my wig, make him feel like he's T10. Put him on his knees, give him something to believe in. Never lost a fight, but I'm looking for a beat. In the food chain, I'm the one that eats you. If he ate my eye, he's a bottom feeder. Big D stand for big demeanor. I can make you bust before I ever meet you. If it don't hang, then he can't bang. You can't hurt my feelings, but I like pain. If you me and ask who's is it when I ride the girl, I'ma spell my name. Ah. Yeah, you tellin' with some wet and gushy Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet and gushy Give me everything you got for this wet and gushy Now from the top, make it drop, that's some wet and gushy Now get a bucket and a mop, that's some wet and gushy I'm talking wop, 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 that's some wet and gushy Macaroni in a pot, that's some wet and gushy, huh There's some wars in this house. 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 There